From the creators of Relevant Magazine, this is the Relevant Podcast. This is devotion. It's a week of Friday, March 23rd, 2018, and it's The Relevant Podcast. I'm your host, Cameron Strang, and here with me in our Orlando studios is Eddie mm, Big Hat Koffeltz. Amen. I'm here. Over there on the ones and twos, our illustrious producer, my brother, Chandler Strang. Hello. On the Skype line from Loverland, Virginia, Jesse Carey. Hello, hello. And all the way from Nashville, Tennessee, our newest podcaster, author, speaker, and podcaster, Annie F. Downs. Good morning, gents. Am I farther away than Jesse? You always no. indicate that I'm farther. No, just you're, it's a new locale. All Further, the way. I believe. Got it. Further all west right. and all the way west from Nashville, Tennessee. <laughs> all the way. <laughs> this week's show is brought to you by Samaritan Ministries, a healthcare sharing organization. When the medical bills arrived for Cody's cancer, the Samaritan Ministries community was there to help. Notes, cards, and financial help came directly from other Samaritan members straight to him, enough to take care of the entire cancer need with no concerns about how the bills would be paid. Nearly a quarter of a million Christians are caring for each other like this every month through health care sharing. To learn more about how you can be part of this community of Christians helping each other with health care, visit SamaritanMinistries.org. Uh, I do believe, Annie F. Downs, that you are a member of Samaritan Ministries. I am a member of Samaritan Ministries. I love it. Has it worked for you? Are you- yeah, it's awesome. I mean, I just think it's kind of cool that you don't only like get your financial needs taken care of medically, but people are sending letters and saying they pray for you and all sorts of nice stuff. I just think it's it does feel like a different level of what healthcare is supposed to be. That's really awesome. There he you got go. me yeah. with that Cody thing. I didn't know where you were going. And then uh, all of a sudden, yeah, and I he realized said, Who's Cody? Yeah. Who's like, Cody? Like, wow, that was a like, powerful oh, testimonial. Oh. It's an example oh, and then of it was, a real person whose life was impacted yeah. by healthcare sharing. Yeah, I thought we had a new cast member. but <laughs> All the way. <laughs> for this week, uh, we have a great show in store for you. Uh, coming up later, we have a, this kind of up and coming preacher mm-hmm. named N.T. Wright. Tom. N.T. Wright yes. is coming on the show to discuss his brand new book, Paul, A Biography. Yeah. Oh, man. I had a friend who just read it and says it is absolutely incredible. I'm dying to read it. Well, or you could just listen to his segment on today's show. I will. And do you yeah. all know how I feel about Paul? Have we ever talked about it? No. Um, do you no. have strong feelings about Paul, the apostle? Super. Yeah, super strong. I do not prefer him. Hmm. Okay. Just because of the whole <laughs> chop in the ear off thing? No, no, no. The denies that, that, that was Peter. Peter. That's, that's Peter. Peter. That's Peter. He snarky. <laughs> Wait, the guy who started the church? What's wrong with him? Is it because he's snarky? Yeah, I just think he I think he could have said things nicer. I mean, I'm growing he's growing on me. I did a I did a couple of studies of his books and he's growing on me. And so my friend Luke Norsworthy tells me you should read this book about Paul because I think it, it'll really help you to really like him. Is Luke's favorite apostle Luke? Yeah, for sure. Wouldn't it be ironically, like, he's name? a ironically he's a big John guy. <laughs> now, Annie, I hear you. I feel like I have complicated feelings about Paul as Honey. well, and I feel like yes. you, you you're, you're wading into dangerous deal. I'm not a theologian, and maybe that's why I shouldn't even talk about this are, kind of stuff. But I'm glad or not. I, 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 I'm glad Tom's on today to clear some things up. But I do right. feel like. 
again, uh, this is going to get me in trouble, but I don't care. We're trying to talk about interesting stuff, right? Like <laughs> you, you feel like, don't you feel like the, um, like some in the reform camp, they treat Paul like he's Jesus, right? Like I get that he, what he wrote is, is, you know, Truth part bombs. of the new Testament. Jesse Carey with the bombs this week, but I'm just saying, I'm just saying that that's my issue with Paul. It's like, we've, can't, we, we, we've made Paul into like this, like member of like the Trinity almost sometimes. I'm like, Hey, you know, Paul was a dude. Like I, I get like the, the new Testament, obviously his letters were canonized as part of scripture, but I mean, like, let's keep in context who the man was and like his social biases and things like that. Anyway, I'm glad we got some, one like NT right on to talk about those things today. Man, Jesse, I'm so on your team about this. You know, oddly That's though, exactly it's the same reasoning that makes me always and almost only like like I have to force myself not to read Paul's words. I have to Every force day. myself to Why? because it is the it it's the you can like feel his mistakes. <laughs> like you can just tell he is wrestling and I love that. I love the fact that he's kind of a little too sarcastic and not that always great a guy and it's really transparent and it's like okay well that's someone i can connect with yeah. and understand well, well, well the thing is like i feel like his personality comes in, in his writing like he's someone who obviously is like very analytical right. and is very good at like reducing a message down to like particular ideas and and like a formulaic understanding which is important but i feel like if you just look at the words of paul outside of the context of like like i said who he was the cultural context and also yeah. kind of the person of jesus which some people do they just look like their doctrine is almost solely based on the works of Paul. Like you lose like a holistic picture of the gospel sometimes. That's why a book, that's why something like, like N.T. Wright's work or even the movie that comes out about Paul, you know, that humanizes him kind of lets you understand what the context for those letters were. Do you, how do you think Paul would react to people opening prayers with the word daddy? Who does that? <laughs> a lot of people. No. I don't know anyone who does that. No. She's in Nashville. Hey, yes, hey, hey Eddie, wow. are you involved in a weird cult? No. <laughs> You've heard this before. People in the daddy cult. I read yeah. Paul every day and open my prayers with daddy. Yeah. That's instead weird. of saying like father or God, they say daddy. You've never no. heard that? Never once. Oh, I've my heard gosh. Abba. I've heard Abba. But, yeah, but, like, but then okay, I realized the- they're actually in a cult that is worshiping the disco band. Yeah. 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 <laughs> See, oddly, when I have my quiet time, I always play Abba. Yeah, in the background, yeah. dancing queen. Yeah. When dancing queen happens, they know just to I mean, leave you. hands up. Yeah. He, yeah, he's dancing like David did to Abba. Yeah. I have, I have the 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 worship flags going. Yeah. I have a shofar. Dancing up. queen. You put your carpet out on the ground oh. and you know bow towards the east. I know how it works. Oh wow, wow, wow! Can't say uh, daddy at the start line, of the cross prayer. The line. That's terrifying. That was, that was uh, also coming up on the show today. Passion Music has a new album out called Whole Heart, and they are on the show. Into right. W H or H O L E? W H O L E. Well, yeah. I was. I'm less interested, but I'll still listen. <laughs> so you you were more about you wanted a musical journey through a heart oh. murmur. Yeah, I wanted to understand. I thought it was maybe they were finally getting into the surgical realm. Yeah, and uh, that's an untouched area of music where we learn about you know. What well, well, that's Matthew's specialty, oh, sure. if I remember correctly. Wasn't he the uh, physician? He was. He was. Yes, um, well done. I, or Luke. I can't remember. It was one of those. Yeah. Guys. Oh, yeah. Actually, Luke, was Matthew was the tax collector. See, I missed yeah. them both, though. Yeah. Come on. Damn, yeah, this Matthew, isn't your strongest showing, bud. Yeah, <laughs> Matthew <laughs> ran the tilt world, but Luke was definitely he, he the, was physician. the physician. Yeah, which one was the carny? Which one was the carny of the ancient world? <laughs> Who said daddy a lot? You know what's funny is we had actual theology, and then it just, like, how quickly it was able to oh, just wow. fall off. 
off the ledge. <laughs> Again, I'm so impressed, Jesse, with your theology. And, and we were accusing one of the apostles of being a carny. Yeah, it's yeah. Jesse's a deep well, Annie. You, you, I know. I believe it. I just love how he said what I've never. I haven't been able to put it in that good of words before about what my angst is towards Paul. I know. I always want to hear new activist Jesse. You know, not just most relevant. Of, but oh, here's the thing: most of my intellectual capacity <laughs> is is busy articulating much more trivial and much much more interesting things than the works of you know the apostles right. and the scriptures. I mean, right. snore. We got people for like NT right for that. You know, yeah. So his ratio of like working on hot pocket stuff in his mind versus theology is <laughs> it's a hundred to one. Yeah. <laughs> what what would you categorize as hot pocket stuff? I don't know, but I've talked about hot pockets on this show for I mean, or, no, I haven't talked. I've we heard should Jesse. do a, we should do a pie chart of what occupies Jesse's brain. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean it's 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 quite um quite complicated. Seventy five percent. I'll be honest, it'd be a little shocking for some people. I don't yeah. know that people would really want to go there. It sounds like a good editorial question of the week. <laughs> Let that everybody is, tell us. It's what similar to Jesse's a twelve year old boy. Hey, moving this so along, it's time for our weekly look back at what happened in culture and entertainment. It's time for In case you missed it. Hey, in case you missed it, uh, Christian singer Andrew Peterson. He's apologizing for his uh, new music video's lack of racial diversity. So uh, the singer-songwriter recently released uh, the music video for his song, Is He Worthy? The song itself is actually a moving meditation on the coming kingdom of heaven, but not long after it appeared on YouTube, Peterson started getting feedback from fans disappointed by the lack of racial diversity in the video, which features a large and entirely white choir. Peterson took the criticism to heart, saying the feedback uh, brought him to tears. In a lengthy apology, he wrote, The irony was that the song is based on one of the most gloriously inclusive passages in Scripture, Revelation 5, which says, From every people and tribe, every nation and tongue, he has made us a kingdom of priests to, to God to reign with the Son. The camera swings past the all-white faces just before uh, he sings that line. Uh, this is the very definition of painfully ironic, he said. Uh, what was meant to be a video drawing attention to the glory of Jesus, one that opened the door for all people to praise him, had become, for some, a source of grief. He went on to explain that he called several of uh, his friends who were people of color, apologized, and prayed together with him. He wrote, because I believe God works all things for the good of his people, I have to trust that though I'm small potatoes in the music world, my misstep with this video will lead the church to good conversations, better understanding, humility, and love, and forgiveness between everyone affected by it. I'm glad he didn't try to rationalize it. Right. Just, just own it. Right. Just I mean, it, have y'all watched Sounds it? Sounds like his heart's in the right place. I mean, it is literally, and I love Andrew Peterson, neighbors, friends, I know him, but cool. it is a bunch of white people in black clothes. <laughs> I mean, it is, it is really clearly. Yeah. Problematic. Yeah. Well, I, like you said, problem. at least he's kind of owning it and kind of learning it as like kind of using it as like a teaching moment, you know, so good for him. Hey, in case you missed it, the Cohen brothers uh, wanted Jerry Falwell to play Jeffrey Lebowski. <laughs> uh, this month marked the 20th anniversary of the Cohen brothers, weird cult comedy, the big Lebowski. Yeah. Um, with all the renewed analysis about the movie itself, one strange piece of trivia has been somewhat ignored. Joel and Ethan Cohen floated the idea of offering Liberty University founder and controversial pastor Jerry Falwell the role of Jeffrey Lebowski. Not the dude, but the film's villain, a role that ended up going to David Huddleston. As Alex Belt explains in his behind-the-scenes book about the production and pre-production of the movie, 
The filmmakers had a wish list of names for the role of the Big Lebowski, and alongside names like Marlon Brando and William F. Buckley was Jerry Falwell. Of course, there's no indication that Falwell would have accepted the role, but it would have made for a very different movie. I, I, I don't think there's many ways to improve the Big Lebowski. Like, I've seen the Big Lebowski many, many times, and I laugh. And obviously, if people haven't seen it, I can't really endorse it. And I have a hard time saying that Jerry Falwell would accept the role considering the amount of profanity in the movie. But I will say this would have certainly made it somehow even more interesting if he played the role. To see him, I don't know how familiar you guys are, but the, 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 uh, Jeffrey Lebowski, like the big, the old guy, um, um, the yeah. villain, he has such great rapport and, and back and forth with Philip Seymour Hoffman's character the whole time oh, that seeing uh, Jerry Falwell in that role would have been unbelievable and unbelievable. <laughs> but hey, never happened. I've never seen that movie. Am I the only one who's never seen it? Uh, not in the world, but I would say certainly, this- uh, <laughs> certainly on this show and a lot of people have seen it. You yeah. should you should hang out with Andrew Peterson and watch it. That's like saying you haven't seen Anchorman yeah. or you haven't seen like. Listen, I can quote Anchorman start to finish, but I feel like a lot of people can do that down. with Big Lebowski too. I feel I feel like once you start watching Big Lebowski, it becomes like an Anchorman or like I was listening to actually another uh, because they had the 20th anniversary some uh, analysis about the film, and someone was making the case like without the Big Lebowski, there would be no Step Brothers. Like that style of just like oh, I could see absurdist that. comedy that just. It gets more and more insane as the movie Ugh, goes on. Brothers, you know, really st- st- pave the way for movies like that. So it's twenty years old. Yeah, I've always wanted to go to one of those. I think it's twenty years old. Yeah, well, that's I, I think the that's the thing, point, right? Yeah. yeah, it's. I've wanted, yeah, always yeah. wanted to go to. A I can Lebowski tell you exactly festival. where I was. I was in the I kissed dating goodbye season of my life, where I was like in youth group all the time. No wonder I didn't see it. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. The Lord would have just struck yeah, you down. For you that. couldn't see yeah. that movie. I couldn't see group. that then. No, 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 no. Now I understand. I didn't yeah. understand before because I like comedies, but now I understand. <laughs> <laughs> hey, in case you missed it, Arcade Fire gave an electric performance on SNL this weekend. It was the band's fifth appearance on the show, and they also announced a new world tour that will kick off this summer. Here's a clip of their performance of Put Your Money on Me. say this i don't feel like you can um watch an arcade fire live performance and not like instantly become at least somewhat of a fan of them so the you know obviously this new album isn't critically and popularly is not as popular as some of the previous ones yeah and and you know they went more more disco and stuff like that and i i was kind of i was kind of down on it Mm -hmm. and then they headlined Lollapalooza last last august yeah and it was, uh, and I had the chance to to shoot it. So I was in the photo pit, like you know, five yeah. feet from you yeah. from them. And it was that new music being performed live was I got it all yeah. of a sudden. I got the album. Yeah. Like it was, it was, it transformed the music. It was. It's pretty fun. Yeah, like, like comes over you in waves. It's, it's good, so like party music. It doesn't quite have the. It's not as critical listening as like old arcade fire, where like you almost felt like you need to put like headphones but, on and really pay what attention. I, yeah. What I didn't realize until I saw it live was just how poignant the lyrics are. It's actually yeah. very significant lyrically, like their old yeah. stuff. It just mm-hmm. doesn't have the epic crescendo that so many of their other songs. It makes you have. stop and listen. 
Right. And, and their, right. Their, their drummer had arguably the best laugh of SNL. Did you see the, oh. the little sketch that they were in? They did a little drop yeah. in and uh, it was, it was I, so funny. I, I have a rule not to recreate SNL sketches, but they, they are a band that like is very good at what do they you do. You have a rule to not create yeah, SNL sketches. Yeah, talk more about that. That's interesting. Because like in high school, my yeah. go-to right. class clown bit was right. reenacting that weekend's SNL. Right. Yeah. And I would have Fair. done that too in high school. But now I just, <laughs> I have, no, but like, when I was a child, I thought like a child. To quote someone named Paul, maybe you've heard of him, not a yeah. fan personally. No, but no, when no, I was no. a child, I thought like a child. But now that I'm a man, I think like a man. I do not quote SNL <laughs> yeah, not a fan of that guy though yeah to be it's honest. purely a comedy thing I can just never do it justice so I get mm-hmm. like super excited and I want to explain it and I'm like okay so then they're all wearing gold in this app and nobody yeah, ever laughs a, so it's, it's like it's like when somebody has the audaciousness to go to a karaoke night and sincerely try to cover a song mm-hmm. that they have no business like, covering. Adele, you either need to get the joke come up on, on the screen Right. It's ridiculous. You know right. they're going to fail. Yeah. Or, or if, and they don't have the twinkle in their eye where they know they're in on the that, joke. That's the joke. Yeah. yeah. When it yeah. turns into a serious thing, we got a problem. So yeah. anyhow, <laughs> yeah, watch right. the watch the uh, watch SNL with them. They did. Uh, they had a great little laugh on it. There you go. At the end. Hey, uh, in case you missed it, the movie I can only imagine about the Mercy Me song came out this past weekend. Oh, yeah. It made more money per theater than any movie last weekend. Probably because people just wanted to hear that song on my way to heaven again. The faith-based movie based on the writing of the hit Mercy Me song outperformed box office expectations, uh, ranking third overall behind only Black Panther and Tomb Raider. Mm. So it'd be a wrinkle in time. Um, wow. Estate uh, estimates for I can only imagine said it would make about two million, uh, but it ended up taking in more than 17 million opening weekend, wow. even though it just released in 1600 locations. What's more, the movie had the highest per site average among wide release movies this weekend so there you go i still miss you grandma i sang that song at her funeral i can imagine Mm -hmm, you sang that at her funeral yeah she asked me to and i have a beautiful voice so what am i gonna do (laughs) hey is uh did anyone else uh and if if this reference goes over your head then please go listen to last week's podcast did anyone else have on their way to heaven in their head all week up to now um i mean jesse i've had it i've had it nonstop in my head the fact that we close the show with it is the thing that sticks with you I loved it. It's like when you're in the car, the last song you heard in the car is the one you're singing all day. Yep. That stupid ending on the podcast. Oh, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful song. Eddie, will you sing that at my funeral? (laughs) I will sing that at your funeral. (laughs) It's a perfect song for that. Do you want it on guitar or ukulele? And do you want Andrew Peterson to be with me? (laughs) Andrew Peterson and and all of his choir. (laughs) Yeah. Andrew Peterson and the. And a very, very diverse the Nashville choir. choir. Yeah. Can you get can you get Andrew Peterson in a problematic choir singing like this? I want them to sing the Dennis Quaid hit on my way to heaven. And then we'll have a reading from any of the choir. Uh, all the any of the choir. choir. That is as good as it gets, Jesse Carey. That is. Uh, sometimes I wonder why you're here, Jesse. And, and then now, there you go. And now Andrew Peterson and the problematic choir. I feel bad I'm making, I'm making light of this. He apologizes. I feel like this is the first time it hits home, really. Are you doing okay? <laughs> she's going to see him out of the mailbox later. Yeah, and... we're, all, we're all looking at you right now. She's, like, I, 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 she's like, I'm not really friends with that guy, Jesse, on the podcast. He's a real yeah, No, trip. I'm having a great time. I, I, he, I love everything about this. He yeah, does well, not you were like, in the choir, he doesn't so. even like Paul. So, you know. Right. Amen.
Oh, man. Um, hey, and lastly, in case you missed it, this week, Pastor John Gray, uh, who's been in the magazine, he's been on this podcast, he uh, he talked with The Breakfast Club, the, the morning radio show, yes. Charlene the God, about leaving Lakewood Church. Yeah, I never, I saw the headline, but why is it, why is he leaving? Well, he's, he's uh, well, he, he's served as a pastor, teaching pastor at Joel Osteen, Joel Osteen's Houston Church for years, Yeah, but went on the, the morning show to explain why he now feels called to bring his ministry to South Carolina. I'll let him say it. Oh, Here's I see. a clip. Now, yeah. you, you recently left Lakewood, man. Well, we're we're in the process, process of, of leaving. Yeah, yeah. We're we're moving to Greenville, South Carolina. And uh so we'll still have the relationship with uh Lakewood at least throughout the end of this year and you know, hopefully over the years, but we're focusing on this new thing. I didn't know that that you could do that. Like just up and leave a church and go to another <laughs> it's not, shop. It's not like Chick Fil A where you could just get a franchise. Like God, I'm gonna go ahead and move out here to Greenville because they need you. We just feel like that's where God called us. <clears throat> you know, Houston is the fourth largest city, most diverse city in America. Yeah, and it, we, things were going good. And mm-hmm. but I told my wife, and I I just bought her, you know, a new home. And I said, but I feel like God is about to move us. Wow. And I can't even tell you why. I mean, but it was it was time. Yeah. And we've been there five years. Five is the number of grace. It was about grace period. And it was time to move to something else. And what, uh, what was that feeling like? What was that called? Like, like why South Carolina? What do you mean, why South Carolina? <laughs> Mont's Corner in the house. Oh, oh, yeah. But why, yeah. like, what was that called for South Carolina? Well, honestly, mm-hmm. um, I've always had a heart for smaller towns. I grew up in Cincinnati. Mm-hmm. And so, and my wife's from Dothan, Alabama. Alabama. So we're both, you know, kind of relatively small to mid-sized towns. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I was serving Pastor Joel and Pastor Victoria's vision. We served that vision and we thank God for that. But, you know, there comes a time when there's a vision in you. Right. And it just depends on the right place to launch it. And uh, Greenville, great people, emerging city. And there's just a lot of wonderful opportunities there. Good for him. That's a bold move to leave yeah, they one of the largest, most influential churches in the world, right? Like, I mean, what's interesting is, I mean, I remember uh, T.D. Jakes yeah. uh, was a pastor in I, South or North Carolina in this smaller church and stuff like that was getting more of a national platform and then moved uh, and launched the Potter's House in Dallas. And mm-hmm. it's, you know, one of the biggest mega churches in the country now, mm. but, you know, needed a larger metro area yeah. right for the size of his ministry and so it's interesting that john gray is kind of doing the opposite at a yeah. similar stage in his ministry i mean even if he goes to the largest cities in in south carolina which i guess would be like what charlottesville i mean that's still not a massive yeah. city the, the the other interesting wrinkle in this is how like the breakfast club which for people who don't know is like uh, a, a syndicated you know, primarily kind of hip hop uh, morning show that's out of New York is becoming like a stop for pastors. You know, yeah. Yeah, like what they've is had lenses on yeah. the because Charlemagne the God's a Christian. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. I would. Hey, so, Cameron, you know what I would wish <laughs> that what? that some Christian outlet would like talk to him in like an in depth profile, like find find out more about his yeah. story, yeah, like and his, his backstory, man. Like that'd that. be so interesting. I'd love how like, could we that. ever find that? Maybe like I don't know the. I, I think the I may, would pay. The May issue of Relevant. I would, think, how much would you pay to read an article like I that, I would Jesse? pay to subscribe to a publication that would feature articles like that in many yeah. <laughs> yeah, I would too. And I would go to their website and I would click everything and share everything on social media. Hey, can I tell you one funny sharing on social media story real quick? Please. Yes. Please. So um, last night, 
Or yesterday during the day, I came across this clip and I sent it to Cameron and I said, I want to bless you with this, brother. And it was a clip <laughs> of this choir. And I and like I was going to play the audio in case you missed it, but it, it makes it, it without watching it. It's not as funny, but I, I don't know the context for it. I looked and I couldn't find it, but it's like this Austrian choir of, of dudes. And Cameron, wouldn't you say it was probably looks early 80s, late 70s that was filmed? I, I'm going I'm going 70s. Yeah. Yeah. From the haircuts and the quality of the film. And they're singing some manner of like Gregorian chant, right? But they're using a, a singing method that I have never encountered in my life. Cameron, have you ever seen anything like it? No, it, it was it was sticking their tongues in and out very rapidly. Ooh. Oh, so, so, so they're basically going oh, like and it's like a they couldn't choir. do vibrato, so they were doing vibrato with their tongue. Neat, but, but they were doing it on their lips. Sounds like a great idea. And so it was like the camera was panning across their faces very, very closely, oh. and it was like gloriously sounding. But they're doing this really bizarre thing <laughs> what, with their what tongue. What song were they doing? It, 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 I, it, I, as, as far as I know, it was an original. I've never heard this song. <laughs> it was, it was like, it, it was some sort of like, you know, Jenny. And so I sent it to Cameron. We all got it. It's Cameron sent it to the staff. Everyone got a good laugh. So I, was, I told the guys, I'm like, we need to write like a funny, uh, slice about it and like post on the website. Just, you know, a little levity. So well, he posts the thing of like, I think your inspiration was like, uh, if you're, if your worship leader is looking for some new material. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, we, we, that's how we framed it. And then we sent out a tweet that said, bless your worship leader with this video today. Oh, and we yeah, tweeted yeah, it out. yeah. And so I was on Twitter, um, <laughs> last night on the, on the main account, just kind of looking at some things. And I came across that, um, you know, that, that tweet was a lot of people were replying and laughing. And then I saw one of them was verified. Uh, you know, which isn't uncommon, but I was just curious because I didn't. Re- Usually, if it's verified a response, I, I, I most of the time I know who it is, and I'm like, who is Patty Millette? And oh, I know I, that name. I, I hovered over. Who I was is, like, wow, she's got almost four million followers. Who is this? Who is Patty? And her Millette? bio said, "Yes, I'm Justin Bieber's Justin mom." Justin Bieber's mom. Here's what yeah. Justin Bieber's mom said about what? the tweet. Crying face, crying face. Thank you. This was amazing. I definitely need more of this in my life. Hey, thanks. <laughs> thanks, Beaver's mom. Share it with JB. I think he'd get a kick out of it, too. And tell him to yeah. share it to his 95 yeah. million Instagram followers. We'd, we'd appreciate that. Wow. You know, reciprocate wow. that, Patty. But uh, Patty thanks, for, thanks for checking us out. <laughs> Appreciate it, Beeb's moms. Oh, Appreciate whatever. it, Mrs. Beeb's. I just want to know the path of how it got into her feed. That's what I right. want to know. Right. I mean, I guess the Lord. <laughs> somebody Paul. blessed her with it. And somebody Paul, listened no, to Jesse no. and blessed her with yeah, it. Yeah. Right. That clip is all about blessing. If you want to be blessed, uh, go to the site and find it or follow us on social but for listen, other gems like that. Don't you kind of have to wonder sometimes, like stepping out of it, for us, it's all jokesies, but for them <laughs> and for all of the practice that went into it and the recording and the setting up of the studio and the rehearsals and getting a babysitter because you've got to go to rehearsal for this. This was a real thing. How does that happen? You know, that is literally how I felt about the praise band I was in in eighth grade. Yeah, like we thought it was real really really important yes. and you weren't even an adult no. right because it kind of makes sense to have like eighth grade you know rock star fantasies or like this is like you know 
God really cares about this or something. But right. like these people, I, I just can't figure that out. <laughs> I'm just glad it does exist. Yeah. I, I, because in my mind, no one has ever tried singing like that, much less like orchestrated in a choir. Like in my mind, I've never even, it's never occurred to me, like in yeah. my car or like in the shower or wherever you're singing. Yeah. That I, you know, I'm going to try singing by just running my tongue rapidly back and forth <laughs> in my mouth and do a whole so- and compose an entire song like that. It, to, to get the right mental image, it's almost like they were licking their lips at like four times speed. Oof. You know, like, yeah. like yeah. side to side. <laughs> it's it's quite impressive. I, I, I'm not doing it justice. It's it's phenomenal. But anyway, to, to take a note from Beaver's Mom and watch it. <laughs> That'll do it for in case you missed it. Stay tuned. Up next, Slices. to Albert Hammond Jr. The song is Muted Beatings. That's awful. At the beginning of the podcast, you heard Sinebo say with I owe you nothing. Just what I tell Chandler every day. <laughs> okay, it's time for slices. What do you have, Jesse? Okay, um, this one I think is interesting and I'm kind of here, uh, I'm kind of interested to hear what you guys have to say. Do you guys, uh, does anyone here watch a Netflix show, Black Mirror? No, I've heard it's scary. Yeah, you told me it was scary, Jesse. A, it's scary, so I'll never watch it. B, I get the gist because every time they share one of those robots getting out of the room videos, people are like, this was the last scene of Black Mirror. Yeah, it's it's not scary. It's just like... It's dark. The best way to describe it is like a modern take on the Twilight Zone that's all based on technology. Uh, So it, 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 it is kind of these like dark... They're not really horror stories, but kind of like thrillers that take uh, technological innovations and take them to the, the the furthest rational place. Like, this is what could potentially happen if we continue with some of these technological conventions that we're experimenting, experimenting I was, with. I was listening to NPR a couple weeks ago, and they had a segment on where they had um, uh, the guy, a guy who wrote a book 30 years ago about what would happen with the internet, you know, like no. how it would you know, affect our lives, affect our thinking, affect our yeah. culture and all this stuff. And he was like dead on. And then they had the writer from Black Mirror on as well. And he was talking about, he is, uh, he, you know, because that's a lot of what Black Mirror is apparently about is like the doom and gloom of the inevitability exactly. of what's happening yeah. with technology and that we're not stopping to think about the ethics and implications of what we're embracing, right? No, we're not. Yeah. And nope. he is a, he said that he is, uh, like personally more pessimistic and scared about what's happening. He's not optimistic that technology and advances are a good thing. He's actually like, I, I'm blanking on the word, but you know, he's like cautious and yeah. um, cynical about, about oh, man. bettering humanity and all this stuff. And so, but he's like, at the end of the day, I'm not saying like black mirror is prophetic and it's inevitable, but it's like, why it's aren't cautionary. we thinking about this stuff? Yeah. Cautionary. Cautionary. Yeah. Well, well the, 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 I mean, I think it kind of plays on the idea that innovation always outpaces ethics, you know, like people will innovate without thinking about the ethical implications. Did you come up with that sentence? Jesse, who are you today? 
I know. Uh, it's like weird. So, so anyway, like, so I think, the, okay, so there's an episode in season three that's called Nosedive. And the, 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 the episode is about, uh, like, each episode is like independent of each other. So it's not serialized. Um, and, and kind of plays on a different idea. So in this particular episode, um, people will, uh, like, their their ability to like get a nice apartment or get a certain job or to have these different social benefits are based on a social score. So you're more likely to get these things if your social score is high. And how you get that social score high is there is like the the government essentially like looks at all of your online interactions. So your neighbors, people you do business with, people you go to church with can give everyone in their life a social ranking. That's all put together in this algorithm and the opportunities that you have in life are based on how you treat other people or at least how you're perceived to other, treat other people through your social score. So that's what happens in the episode. Um, and obviously because it's Black Mirror, everything goes off the rails for somebody in a very dark and problematic way. But China is actually implementing something that is... Uh, <laughs> kind of uh, terrifyingly similar to what happens in the show. So they are creating a uh, social credit system, the communist party there uh, for citizens that if, if the, if a citizen's credit score gets low, then they could be banned from using public services. Like they won't be able to take public transportation. They could be kicked off flights. They could have really limited, uh, a real, a severely limited ability to kind of get around and take advantage of government services mm -hmm. if if their social credit score gets low so you can get a and the way you get a social credit score for some of it it like makes sense like if you have like certain violations like if you're you if you like abuse your subway card or something like that you can't use the subway that makes sense but other ones are more uh you know i think the implications are scarier so if you were to like one of the ways that you can lower your credit score is if you if you're in the government eyes spread false information about a terrorist attack uh, online. So if, if basically if you're spreading fake news, they can say, well, you can no longer fly or you can no longer take a train ride. If you are late to pay like your uh, the insurance portion for your company there, like any kind of like minor financial violation, all of these things collectively can lower your score and they hit a certain point. You won't mm -hmm. be able to get around in China. Well, they, they, the, I heard about this and they, it's not, it's not credit. It's a social score. And, yeah. and, and they, uh, and it's also things like being critical of the government on the internet and things yeah. like that, that they'll tag you for the, the, the report I heard talked to a guy who had gotten blacklisted because of this and he couldn't travel. He, instead of being able to say, you can't take the bullet trains. And so instead of taking a bullet train to work from where he lived, which would is a 20 minute commute, he had to take the regular trains, which took four hours. And so he's blacklisted from the bullet trains because he's because of his social score. And the thing was, is it was a mistake and there's no yeah. policy in place to really dispute it or there's no agency to take, you know, it, like there's no clarity or transparency about a who puts you on the, the blacklist yeah. and how to get off of it if it's a mistake. And this guy had been fighting in court for years to like try and clear his name. And there's wow. like no agency to clear the name, which is the really problematic thing about it. Yeah. And, and so I mean, it's already going. It's happening. Yeah. 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 But the, the interesting thing is I was thinking about is like that already kind of happens in sort of like 
non-official capacities, like the the inability to clear your name. So, like, let's say, let's say you are you are wrongly accused of something, or you you know are mistakenly identified in the media as being involved in something, and all these stories and posts, or you know, are are, are posted about you, and you're dragged on social media, and your name is out there everywhere. Even if you're later absolved, like you're always Googleable, and people will likely see that first. So, I mean, to to an extent, I feel like. The, the, this already happens in a non-official capacity in just the way that technology has evolved. Like you can get on a sort of social blacklist and almost never be able to get off. But it's terrifying that it's actually now be done in an official capacity uh, for lots of reasons. But one of them, which is what Cameron just explained, is that, you know, it, it's a non-transparent system, especially in an authoritarian government. I'm just mainly scared that Jesse keeps bringing slices from China. That's some dark web stuff. I buddy. didn't realize it was two in a row, but come at me, China. Come at me. I don't uh, mean to say that. Please do not come at me. I'm already yeah. banned from bullet trains in China, which is concerning to me. Yeah. So. I also think that the train disparity is pretty crazy. Isn't that crazy? It's four hours an- and twenty minutes. Yeah, they have like an antiquated like. Well, it'd be almost like taking subway stops, you know, or a yeah. bus. You know, you drive from point A to point B, direct line, or you have to take the bus and you go the routes and the stops and the delays and the waiting for the next one and you got to transfer. Yeah, it's that boy. I will read a text that I got from Chandler during this. Chandler said, I have no problem with any of this. Please uh, vote for me. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> it was weird. Chandler's new that. podcast. Why I love China. Yeah. <laughs> why, I, why I agree. <laughs> I agree with social exercising. So don't ban me from a train. Yeah. Man. <laughs> All right. What do you have, Annie? Well, laughter for starters. Okay. Do y'all watch The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel on uh, Netflix? Love it. Oh, sorry. On Amazon. On Amazon. Uh, Amazon. Love it. Love it. Watched every episode. I think it's fantastic. It's great. You're going to love this slice then, Eddie. Okay. So for those of you who don't know, it is a show about a 1950s housewife who becomes a comedian and she has a manager named Susie Meyerson. Mm-hmm. And it's a, it's about time for people to start voting for Emmys. And so Amazon has used marketing money to create this kind of Emmy buzz around the marvelous Mrs. Maisel. And mm-hmm. it is so interesting to me. They are, they are, do you know this already? They're putting up, um, Eddie, they are putting up billboards that say things like, let me, it says, dear sir or madam, I have a new client you need to meet. She's so funny. She makes Lenny Bruce blush for booking call her manager that's me Susie and then has a real phone number oh no way when you call that phone number you get real comedians on the other end pretending to be Susie (sighs) like you've really called her what's the phone number let's do it let's call her right now all right I'm calling him okay gaslight Uh, I mean Susie Meyerson personal management what can I do for you Wait, listen, my best comic is about to go on. You have never heard anything like this before. My husband left me three months ago for his teenage secretary. However, the other night he came home for some clean underwear and a sock. <laughs> Actually, just for the underwear. I threw in the sock to break. Anyhow, Melina found out, and boy, was she seen. Right, so if you call before hours, if you call before it starts, or before they're awake in L.A., you get this recording of her doing her stand-up bit. That's funny. So that really is, that was Alex Borstein, who plays the character of the manager. And she's also the voice of uh, 
Lois on yeah. uh, Family Guy, and she was on Mad TV. She's a uh, very famous. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. And so if you call during the day, you get there's like 150 comedians that they have trained and paid to answer your call, like you're trying to book this comedian. That's and incredible. Then, and it's going to last for four weeks, four full weeks. And they, the article says they said, you know, we know that it's mostly not Emmy voters who are going to be calling. It's mostly going to be fans, yeah. but it's just going to get. It's just like going to get some buzz around it. And I think it's incredibly smart and funny. But yeah, but, that's, that show is interesting. I was going to Go say, ahead, but Jess. how many ta- like once this goes out, I feel like there are like a, just a lot of people in the world that if they know that there's a phone line, that if they call someone on the other end, doesn't matter the intention of the phone line, but there is someone being paid to talk to them. We'll just call and like, you know, get, dump their problems to we'll treat them like like a like a counselor, like a bartender or something. <laughs> like a therapist? Yeah. Like, I think there are people that would be like, oh, Oh man, there's a comedian out there that'll listen to me yabber on about something. Like, how many people are just calling and have no intention of uh, talking about the Emmy credibility of this show and are just calling to talk to somebody? I feel like. Tell me some other things about that person. Does that person have a job that you're talking about? Because that doesn't seem. I'll like... say this, Annie. One summer, I was a lifeguard at a pool, and the pool was five feet deep at its <laughs> deepest point. And it was a particular rainy summer, so most of my summer was spent just standing there, literally. Just standing right, at a so pool lots of calling phone for numbers. an eight-hour shift, but soon people from this apartment complex knew that there's a guy just standing there all day long, and people would come down and just talk, like and, and like talk about their problems, talk about whatever. Because I've like have you like Chris Gethard has an entire podcast of this where people know he's going to be at a studio at a certain time, and people come and just talk to them him about their problems because he knows there will be I someone there will be someone there to listen to i i, I feel like it, this is running for four weeks two weeks in it's going to be uh it's going to be a complete disaster and these comedians are just going to have their ears talked off by by randos you know wanting to have someone to bounce their problems off of so the, have you guys have heard of the hall and oats line right yeah no yeah you know that there is a phone number you can call just to hear a clip of yes. hall and oats yeah i Chandler, did not know that do you have it listen okay listen Welcome to Colin Notes, your emergency hall and oats helpline. To hear one-on-one, <laughs> please Oates. press That's one. Great. To hear rich girl, please oh. press two. For, for sure two. two. To hear man, for sure two. Please. You're a rich girl, and you're gone to... Call it out. It's an emergency line. You just need to hear it. Well, and then uh, Houston rapper Mike Jones, back in the t- uh, 10 years ago, got famous because he had a hit song, uh, 281-330-8004. It was his number. Yeah. And he was like, call me, Mike Jones. And that's how he promoted himself. Yeah. It was like everywhere he put his phone number out, like, call me, Mike Jones. And his, and his song did it, and he blew up. And y'all know Bob Goff did it. He put his phone number in the back of his book, and he did it again in the new one and he told me when i saw him the other day he's i saw him at maybe three o'clock in the afternoon and he'd already gotten 50 phone calls that day oh wow listen i i i was with him i I hate to tell that story but i mean this is true this is so i'm i'm of the mind about bob's phone number that i'm like two phones there's gotta be two phones it's a real number that he has on him but it's gotta be two phones listen we were we were in the white house a couple years ago and no big deal. He and I were walking down that <laughs> hall. It was, be, it was when it was like, okay, to be there. <laughs> right. A couple years ago. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we were walking down that hallway from the East wing along the Rose garden. This is me and him right walking and his phone rings and he's like, this is Bob. Oh yeah. Hey, Hey Cameron, here's the phone. Tell him where we are right now. Hello. 
uh, uh, we're in the White House. What? Oh my goodness! I love it. And it was just a reader. It was a reader who just called Bob and he answered in the White House. And then we go to lunch, and I was like, Bob, come on, level with me. Yeah, you know, there's some. there's the family phone, and then there's the public phone. Come on. And he goes, No, it's one phone. And he told me then that he took caller ID off of his phone so he wouldn't know who was calling him. It might be his daughter's school calling, or it might be his you know wife from work, or it might be a reader, and it forces him to pick up the phone every time. And he only doesn't pick up the phone if he's obviously in an airplane, sleeping, or at family dinner, but he will pick up the phone otherwise. It's, it's just insane to me. That is wild. He is the king of creating a connection with somebody for 90 seconds. It changes their life or will stick with them forever. He's, but he's the king of getting off the phone. It's amazing. Oh, like, he I can't, ends it beautifully. Oh, you feel in, you feel lifted up by the way yeah. he gets off the phone with you. Yeah, that's right. And it's been 82 seconds for real. And he's like, it is so great talking to you. Bye. And you're like, <laughs> oh, loves me. I talked to Bob Goff. Yeah. Yeah. I will say one of one of my favorite bits that we ever did was when you guys were doing when Jesse was doing the uh, all night charity <laughs> water thing where you had to stay up and watch all of the uh, the, the yeah. trapped in the cage trapped in the cage movies and somebody I, we like started giving out Chandler's <laughs> phone number to try to get him a date yeah in the middle and, of the night and it started to get <laughs> like shared no. and all of a sudden Chandler's getting like I wake phone. up to like fifty texts <laughs> that was one of the few times that Chandler kind of put his foot down afterwards and he, but it was like real gentle but I remember it was like the next week show because of course I'm just milking the yeah, joke what did you have forty three texts yeah, yeah something yeah. and and Chandler yeah. was like hey guys stop uh, giving up my phone number Chandler did you ever get any phone number no, it's the same one. Ooh. At some point, someone was like, hey, what was uh, Chandler's phone number? And on Twitter, a bunch of people were like, they, oh, they this screenshot is it. And they, yeah. like, they saved it. Because oh, in the brilliant. chat, it came and went. And somebody screenshot oh, it. And they kept resaving and resharing it. Let's send it out again. Yeah, should we call Bob, by the way? Let's Just call ask Bob. him how he's doing. Oh, Let's, can we put it to the test right now and see if he answers? Who's talking? I've met Aaron, him before. You, I'm, I'll be I've cool never met him. Are you really going to talk Chandler's talking. Chandler's talking. Remember, it's 8 a.m. over there. Chandler, you're talking. <laughs> Annie, you have to talk. Annie, you talk. Nope. No, nope. Chandler, Chandler, Cameron. Chandler. Chandler talks. I'm not saying anything. It's going to be Chandler. Does this turn into prank anchors? Like, <laughs> <not saying> <laughs> anchors. All right, let's hang up. I don't want to wake him. Yeah. Yeah. But that was really his phone number. I'll, uh, yeah. I wouldn't Annie want had the it to turn into like a prank. It was international. Is he out of the country, maybe? I was, he was calling through Skype, I think. Yeah. Um, Chandler's yeah, calling through Skype. There's, yeah. there's a great comedy bit by, there's a comedian named uh, Jay Larson who like is driving one day and he gets a call from an unknown number and just puts in his mind, he's going to answer it and just go with whatever happens. And he ends up inserting himself into this dilemma at a small business who he like claims to uh, uh, know something about the budget there. And it goes on for like weeks until the whole thing blows up. Uh, but it, it, it is so funny. But I'm always tempted to do that. Like when it's clearly a wrong number or like Annie, that slice you brought last week about a text message clearly intended for someone else. Just sometimes yeah. just go with it. Just go with it and see what happens. You know? <laughs> That's right. That's right. You really eats. All right. What do you have, Eddie? That was really well, fun, I'd everybody. Like to, I'd like to just do more prank calls, but you know, whatever you guys want to do, I can do my slice. Can, slice. I, can I give you one prank call anecdote? I had my first, <laughs> before I got into podcasting, I had a radio show at my college that got kicked off the air because we started <laughs> doing prank calls. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Just a short lived, short lived, but it was great. It $10 was. and a bunch of relevant stuff. If anybody can get us a recording of that radio show, I guarantee show. none exists, but uh, we are, you, Cameron, you would know this reference. I'll throw another $10 in. 
into that, Eddie. Make it a big twenty dollars and a bunch of relevant hey, stuff. Cameron, uh, you know our big our big moment on that <laughs> on that show. Like, do you remember? I I don't know if he was around when you were around Tulsa, but a guy named Biker Fox. God. Oh yeah, you Biker have, Fox. You sure. have always been you. So, yeah. so Biker Fox his was name this guy. Always, his middle name has always been Blaine. Yeah. Biker Fox was this guy, <laughs> and he's queen. probably still out there. For all I know, I think they made it. You know, I think a couple years ago they made a documentary about him. He would he would wear <laughs> like full on biker gear, like spandex, right? And he had the, he had like a crazy mullet. Cameron Cameron can affirm all of oh, this. Yeah. And he would go and and basically like he would only refer to himself as Biker Fox. He had a website and everything. And this is back in the day when it was kind of weird to have your own website if you weren't like you know a, a like business a or something cities, you know and so he would at he would wait till there was like a stoplight in the busiest part of the intersection and he would ride out there and do a trick that he claims to invented that's not really a trick it's called the biker fox hop and he had one called the biker fox slip and he here's what he'd do i swear this is true he would ride out in the middle of the intersection in his bike gear with mullet flowing jam the front brake of his bike and go flying over the handlebars and try <laughs> to land on his feet and try to land on his feet yeah this is not. This the is totally true. It's, it's a famous thing in Tulsa. So it's the good. biggest cultural event every year. I had my co-host. My co-host was this guy <laughs> named John Gulick, and I was like, John, dude, I, because we were just starting our show, and I really, <laughs> I was like, man, you know, it'd be awesome. Like, we got some buzz for our show Gosh. if we brought Biker Fox in it is as really a celebrity guest. Incredible <laughs> to hear the origin story of what makes Jesse. And so, yeah, so it's always so the same. We <laughs> waited, Karen. We waited till it was the YB Full Armor Intramural Football oh, no. Game, which is like a huge thing. Huge oh, Intramural yeah. Football Game. The two wings hate each other. They uh, have like the a system. Wing competitions. And- Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. so, so, but the whole, but this is like the biggest one on campus. Oh, so, like, deal. we scheduled this is like our old school guerrilla marketing. We sket, <laughs> we hung flyers up that Biker Fox is coming. So, we, we like scheduled Biker Fox, <laughs> the Biker Fox interview for after the football game. So, the idea was after the football game, everyone goes back and listens. And we told him to come and do tricks on the field at halftime. <laughs> and we didn't tell, we didn't tell like the intramural people. We didn't tell anyone. We're like, no, dude, it's totally cool. Cool. Like we're a radio show host here. It's not a big oh, deal. And so like at halftime of the game, Biker Fox goes out in the field and no one knows why he's there. They all know he's there. And like the intramural people are like, we didn't authorize this. But then he starts doing the flip and people are going bananas. So no one's going to kick him off. He's giving high fives. And then after we just ride him to the studio and wait for the game to end and start the interview. It was great. That's I mean, hilarious. it was I mean, it was a short lived show. I really played my cards incorrectly there. Um, Push the limit. But uh so you they know. they closed your show because you interrupted the halftime of an intramural football no, no, game. No, no, no. They closed my show <laughs> shortly after. <laughs> <laughs> this is a little inside Great baseball, but a question. guy who used to do some work with relevant uh, uh, Cameron. You remember Dave Ranzino? Good oh, buddy. Yeah, you know, Dave. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Dave at the time was the station manager, and he was the one that had to go to the angry meeting and it had to fire us because we were we were doing so many prank calls. But anyway, it was, it was good time. <laughs> I just see if we can get Biker Fox on the podcast sometime. I'm sure he's still out. There. Oh, I'm sure he's not. You got fired by Dave Ranzino because your show is prank calling too much. 
Yeah, yeah. I didn't like administrators were like basically said we're abusing the platform or whatever. Oh but have you ever seen Jesse happier than recalling that story? Like honestly, Jesse, was him riding onto the field the best moment of your life? I mean, it was pretty. It was pretty great. I mean, I'm not gonna lie. Like, and like I said, we had banners up all oh, over the campus. Okay. Like it was like we we totally oh, were yeah. a gorilla on it, and we it wasn't like we had any financial incentive. Jesse, for when this. y'all would prank call, would you just dial random? Um, dorm numbers yeah who would you prank uh <laughs> you know it's funny it's and like you're we, all the right questions. we had a phone book at the time and uh. we would call like we because after the bike <laughs> this is so stupid but after the biker box <laughs> thing we would promise that we'd have big celebrity interviews and so we're like we were like today on the show it's really big we got larry bird on and we would just <laughs> go to the phone book like the yellow pages and find people named larry bird uh, and just call so them good. and interview and talk to them as if they're larry bird so you're just Stupid stuff like that. It wasn't malicious. It wasn't malicious. It was stupid. Tulsa. Tulsa phone book. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And it was partly because we weren't delivering on interviews, so technically we weren't lying because we did interview Larry Bird. So good. He's always been like this. We just we found out it's like his origin story is just the exact same thing except younger. Still existed. I would definitely. I mean, it's weird that I've I've leveraged that into literally a career. I can't stop thinking about how you said Jesse is always just one off. His birthday's April second. His middle name was Blaine. All this just folds into the same cake. I feel like we're making the same cake here. I should have been. I'm enjoying it. He should have been a late 80s zoo morning crew, like radio host, and he would have genuinely been very happy. Yeah. Like, he would have really <laughs> thrived in that role. Like Johnny and the Gooch. Yeah, yeah. exactly. I mean, that's, <laughs> Jesse but I feel is like that's like an extension of, I mean, it's basically a sort of a version of what I'm doing now. So, you know. Yeah. So, yeah. My favorite of. college story isn't you in college it was your visiting for college weekend story i don't know if annie knows this and i'm gonna just ask for it yeah about once every two years i oh I, yeah I come on i want to hear it it's when he was visiting can this uh, just be my college slice? weekend this is so much more interesting please tell annie about your experience visiting that that bible college so so annie i had some friends that were like going to uh, a bible college that when i was still in high school and i didn't really have any intention of going there but i just wanted they were like hey we should come visit but it was really strict like so for campus visits uh like you it wasn't like a normal like liberal arts college where you just stay in your friend's dorm room like they had this thing where if you're going to visit they want to recruit you you know this is a yeah. bible college and so they have like people who their whole role is to like be really friendly to these incoming visitors and you know try yeah. to show them how nice it is yeah. so but uh you know he's got all the guy that i'm saying with has all these plans for us you know like we're gonna do all this fun stuff and i'm like dude i'm just kind of here to see my friends it's not a big deal i'm not i'm not going here i'm just here to see. and he's like no i really but i kind of blew him off felt kind of bad about it and he's like well it's really important to me like i want you to have my bed tonight i they had bunk beds <laughs> oh and he was like i'm gonna sleep on the floor and i want you to take my bunk and he had the top bunk okay and i was like no it's not a big deal man and i felt it was kind of weird because i blew the guy off all day you know and he had all this this stuff planned so anyway he's like well at least come back to the room we'll get to know each other hang out a little of course i don't do that i come back super late at night and he is sleeping on the floor like so i i i I, I like real cautiously like so you haven't you haven't you haven't hung out with him at all this poor guy i don't even remember you guys were gonna be sidled up all weekend he had a whole thing yeah you don't remember his name, Jesse? 
I don't even remember his name. And like, all I know is like, I, 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 I was like, dude, don't sleep on the floor. It's not a big deal, man. I, I, like I said, I'm just here to see my buddies. I'm just coming into, you know, anyway, so he's sleeping on the floor. So I'm like, well, it's weird if I just sleep on the floor too. So I'll just go to the top bunk. So Annie, I, I crawl up there in the middle of the night. And, <laughs> and I, I need to, I've, I've said this before when I tell the story. I feel like it's important to emphasize that I've never once fallen out of a bed. Like it's never <laughs> occurred to just me. As a, just as a preface, this man has stayed in every bed he's ever been in. <laughs> it has never once happened on a normal heighted bed that no. I've rolled off of. As a child, when he got to switch to his big boy bed out of the crib, he stayed in the big boy bed, it, the twin bed the whole time. He's it, fine. It, it, it has never once in my life occurred to me that I am in danger of falling out of a bed. So I had no reason to think this night would be any different. Oh, it's, God. So, so I'm like, I go to sleep and I'm kind of thinking about like, I kind of feel bad for the, maybe I'll talk to him in the morning and we'll settle things up, you know? And Annie, I, the next thing, the next time I wake up, I am literally in midair. Like, I, and like, it was like, you know, like I, I was, it was like dead sleep, like REM sleep to wide awake falling like six feet off the ground. And he is, I'm Annie, I'm telling you, he is directly beside No, I hit, I landed on him stomach to stomach, cheek to cheek. Like it, it, you couldn't have, like if I were to practice how well. I landed on him. Like not one part of me touched the floor. Like it was body to body. Okay. Like I, I wake up in midair. I, I I know what's going to happen. So I have a minute to like oh mentally God. prep. He is any dead sleep. Like he was snoring. Okay. And I, all I hear is like, like a full grown person falling on you in a dead sleep. He has no idea what happened. And I don't even know if he knows if it's intentional or not. I mean, I have no idea. Oh my God. And he's like trying to catch his breath. I've clearly knocked the wind out of him. And I'm like, oh my arm kind of hurt. So I can only imagine that he was not, he was, he was in pain. And, and like, we're sitting there in silence. And like, he's just going, oh my God. And I just whispered in his ear, Annie. I just said, I'm sorry. And I crawled back in bed. Annie, I crawled back in bed. I went back to sleep. And when I woke up, he was gone. I've never seen him again. You've never seen him again. We have to find this guy. I'm sorry. I've never seen him again. Not a piece of you touched the ground. That was my favorite part. Gosh, yeah. that is the every two you're telling pure that story. body to body. I love that so much. That is you know. so good, Jess. Oh, oh, that is gosh. as funny as it gets. All right, what do you have, Eddie? <laughs> it's just the fact that it was mid-air wake-up. Right. It was just like... It's a split second right before the time like, starts it's, to expand. It's, it's, it's a split... You know how they, they say you're in a car crash and your mind moves in slow motion and it the totally world stops? Is. Like, I felt like I went to, like, matri- bullet time for a second. Like, yeah. I was in mid-air and I was like... <gasps> I was like, I'm going to nail the crap out of this guy. I'm going to really hit a dude right now. Sorry. Oh, oh. What do you have, Eddie? Well, not much after that, but I will, I will do my best. So here's what happened. So at Loyola University, which it is worth noting is a, uh, is a Jesuit college, they have a two-night... What's their college weekend policy? 
<laughs> oh man, it is bunk no beds hold. or no bunk beds. <laughs> it is no holds barred. I would like to go visit there, and I would I demand a top bunk. <laughs> I would like top bunks only. And I need like you, a window seat and a top bunk. And I need <laughs> you to fall asleep on the target that I've drawn on the floor because that's exactly <laughs> where I'm going to fall. <laughs> the, wait, why is the target body shaped? It's like a dead body chalk line. Just lay there. Man. Why is there a just chalk outline there. here? Just lay there. Yeah. No. Just lay there. That's where you're just sleeping. The, just the pain. Nothing creepy. I, think I just need his... you to lay in a chalk line and fall asleep with me staring at you. The idea that y'all have told this story multiple times I'm and no one has tried to find this guy feels like I don't even know y'all anymore. I feel like, I mean, call in. Just give out your phone number, Annie. He, we'll keeps, it, he yeah. keeps it too too general. I don't even know what college it was. I mean, I could give details, I mean, but I, I don't remember his name. All I know is what school it was. What school I don't it? know how you would possibly yeah, find Yeah, here's it. what we do. Tell us the school and tell us the year. Yeah. And then and was, because yeah, let me we can find you, a his... Facebook group of the of of people from that year that went there, and then we just asked Facebook, "Did anybody fall on you during a college weekend?" Listen, I, I promise point, you, he's told this story a bunch he, of times too. He's like, "I'm just sleeping." This guy that completely ghosted me for a whole day, <laughs> the rudest guy ever. Next thing I know, I'm in a huge amount of pain, and he's on he's on top of me. <laughs> I broke three <laughs> ribs that night. <laughs> okay, what's cool? Okay, okay I, what's cool, I, It's called Elam Bible Institute, and I'm pretty sure the year was 2000. All right. Okay. I'm pretty sure All right. it, was, it was the year 2000. What city and I is think, that school? I don't know if this helps. I don't know if this helps, but I think the one other thing <laughs> that I remember about him, I'm sh- sure it won't help. I think he owned an American flag windbreaker. <laughs> like, I think he had a windbreaker jacket. I think I remember because, like, man, if that windbreaker was slightly different, it'd be like a cool, evil, Knievel jacket. But the way he, it's designed is actually very uncool. That is a like, great listen. I remember of that. Have y'all listened to Up and Vanish? Those little, those little clues. Are the are the breakers? That's what we needed. Yeah. Somebody so. knows the guy with the American flag wind jacket. Somebody right now listening to the show just went like, "I know him. That's my <laughs> That's brother. Oh, it's Danny from yeah. Elam. Yeah, yeah, we'll get a hold of him." Uh, what okay. city is that school in? Elam uh, Bible it, Institute is. I'm on their website right now. It's elim. edu. It's um, near Rochester. In Rochester, New York. Come on, Rochester. There's we a need click, you. There's a link in the Blink footer. Back 18 years. There's a link in the footer. Visit the campus. So uh, <laughs> we'd love to so give you our bed. So still doing campus visits. We know that. So that's another uh, you know, link in the mystery. There is a pretty strict no top bunk policy there. <laughs> I just wish you remembered his first name. There are I mean, we're going to find this guy. Now. I'm, oh, I'm not letting go of this. No, there's yeah, no that, chance they, that they he's they not the guest They say we are a dry campus and we are a one bunk school. Those are hard and fast policies. One bunk school. So Loyola University is a Jesuit uh, college, and they have this two-night show, this Colossus show. And if anybody has seen this year of uh, of crashing, they did a whole episode where Pete Holmes basically is trying to break into the college circuit because there is, I guess, this like, um, I mean, you know, colleges are always bringing comedians, and there's this well, kind activities. of activities, yeah, and different kind of stuff. So yeah. like, we went to the university, or I went to the University of Florida. Biker Fox shows at halftime of intramural games. We got right, you. right, right, yeah. right. So <laughs> comedians cool. come, in. but it's also a big thing for comedians because they get on this <laughs> on college tour. bike stunts. <laughs> they get on this college circuit, and you know they can do pretty well on it. It's a lot of travel, but they that's uh, how Pete made it in right, real life, right? But they also bring in like. Not just up and coming comedians, they bring in uh, big comedians. Uh, this past week, uh, Loyola had uh, Hannibal Burris, who is just an incredible comedian, does a lot of really smart, edgy comedy. He broke the whole Bill Cosby story. I've actually never well, he brought it back up. I mean, it yeah, was yeah, like, yeah, no, yeah. And he they, kind they, of, the, the whole bit was, how come nobody's talking that's about That's right. This? He brought it back into the consciousness. Right. That's right. It's not like he was and, a journalist. Uh, and, and as Jesse learned when interviewing Hannibal Burris, don't talk to him about that. <laughs> 
Really? Yeah. I, what happened? He, oh, well, you didn't you didn't know about this? No, I'm sorry, I didn't, or I missed the article or whatever. I don't even know. I, yeah. So, so yeah, I mean, it's kind of like I, I knew going in. I remember at the time, I think Jeremiah was in the studio helping, you know, re- recording it. But like, I knew going in, like it was just a thing. Like, do not talk to him about Cosby. He has a really conflicted relationship with that. With, with the repercussions because Cosby's like a hero and he basically brought down black people's comedic hero you know well yeah a lot of people so he has a conflicted hero. yeah you know thought about that yeah yeah and so, so he prefers that it just not be discussed and the other thing too is at the time that happened his career was really taking off and all of a sudden he kind of got uh labeled as the the Cosby guy and he wanted to you know he didn't want that to be something that yeah. he's like known for so anyway I knew that going into the interview and I felt like we had got to a point in, into the discussion where we were talking about like South Park and the Daily Show and the ability for comedy to make social change and I brought it up you know which I felt like was a natural point to bring it up and and literally I think I told the story before literally he just starts breathing really heavily oh. like into the oh mic wow. like, <sighs> and and then I, I ask again and he goes move on and I oh and like gosh. his whole demeanor changed and I was like oh well you know it, like like it's kind of it's very similar to what happened he goes I said move on and it basically ended the interview like wow. he just did mm. not want to talk about it yeah well yeah. Uh, kind of a strangely similar thing happened it's not him though that kind of shut things down he w- brought up in his stand up act that Loyola had apparently given him an agreement to which they said they both signed. But in this agreement, they said that he would not talk about um, that. He was not to participate in any sort of talk about like uh, anything sexual. Uh, Let's see. Yeah, he couldn't talk about race and he couldn't talk about sexual assault as a part of his stand up act. So as a part of his stand up act, he goes kind of meta and he starts talking about this agreement, at which point at a Jesuit school, he begins to make jokes slash commentary about the uh, the priest sexual abuse uh, situation. Mm. Oh, wow. At which point they shut off his mic and turn on the background music and shut him down. <gasps> so wow. uh, somebody in the audience says, we thought there was going to be a riot because he is still trying to yell and do his bit. And they are, <laughs> they are dr- wow. he, he is That's being awesome. drowned out by, uh, by the crowd who is both in favor of him and very much not in favor of this. And he is just basically bucking the entire system. He leaves the stage for 15 minutes uh-huh. and people are just not, not like full on rioting, but they are making, it is not, they're not just going to move on from this. He comes back and out. And the background music, by is, the way, on the way to heaven. Such <laughs> they're trying to quell the crowd with the with the sweet baritone voice of Dennis <laughs> yes, Quaid, and it is backfiring. It's enraging people. Well, they didn't know it was actually Dennis Quaid. He was just there at the sound booth playing the song. <laughs> they're like, yeah, Dennis, help us out live. here. He's like, what I happened? got this. What happened? So he comes oh, out 15 minutes later. Yeah, he came back out. They come back He's out 15 minutes later. Now, what's not in the article is what happened in that 15 minutes because it's pretty I, clear that there was some pretty heated discussion. Yes, he, he would have asked. He comes out 15 minutes later. The crowd goes nuts. So happy to see him. They turn on the mic. He finishes his set and he does basically the rest of the set about getting his mic turned off, but he does not talk about for the rest of the the comedy set, anything sexual abuse, anything about priests or any of that. So he said, and Loyola said he stayed within the parameters of the contract to which they replied later. uh, the, The school replied later. They said, Every comedian we ever bring on campus has to sign one of these. This wasn't special for Hannibal Burris. We all have them sign basically 
it's not like a non-disclosure, but it's just a, a contract saying like, here are the things we won't talk about. And he took that to task. And I, I brought it up because it's an interesting, because I'm a little bit conflicted by it because part of me is like, well, okay, they're allowed to do this. They're a private institution. They don't want this brought up. They don't want their students exposed to this. But also, if you've seen even a second of Hannibal Burris's comedy, why bring him in? He's not the right. guy that's going to do that. He is the guy that and beyond just Cosby, he is going to his shows are really funny and just really full of thoughtful commentary. And you leave having laughed and also thinking about a lot. Why would they bring him in and expect him not to do exactly what he just uh, just did? It feels silly. And also it brings up to me the role of. Uh, I'm sorry, I know I'm throwing out a lot, but the role of satire and comedy, like, wasn't that possibly, uh, I mean, since he was doing it, like, don't, don't shut him off. Don't, like, take away his voice. You invited him there, and he's doing exactly what you thought he was doing. You invited gonna- him, but he signed, I mean, I, when, there are churches when I go and speak that absolutely I cannot talk about alcohol. And wow. it's my choice when I see that, I can either say, well, then I can't speak on your stage or I'm going to speak on your stage under the rules of your house, which I totally get. Right. And and so that's kind of the the artists. That's a, I think that's a little bit of the artist's responsibility of like, if you're going to sign this thing and agree to it, be a person of your word. All right. That'll do it for slices. Stay tuned. Up next, N.T. Wright joins us. I'm about it till it's over. I'm about it till it's over. You're listening to Anderson Pack. The song is Till It's Over. Love him. Well, this week's show is brought to you by Blue Apron, the leading meal kit delivery service in the U.S. While many people know what Blue Apron does, many don't know about the types of meals you eat when you cook with Blue Apron, like quick bucatini with broccoli and pecorino cheese and Italian-style shrimp and sweet pepper. With incredible ingredients and chef-designed recipes, Blue Apron lets you see what the power of food can do. Jesse, I know you're a big Blue Apron fan. I am, and it's turned me because I, I, I got to be honest, the, the whole meal kit, uh, you know, like the delivery idea, I, I wasn't a believer, like because I'm like I am terrible at at all things that deal with food. And again, the simplicity is it, it like even even I can take these ingredients and turn it into a meal. And the other thing too is like <laughs> I was my expectations were so off. Like I was thinking maybe it's because I've spent so much time eating frozen food that like these will just be like these little <laughs> like ingre- like the, the most sophisticated I'm, thing I make is the cup of noodles that has like the the um the noodles itself and it has like the packet of dry stuff and like sauce. So I was picturing like pre package kind of gross stuff oh, you just put. no yeah. this is like fresh stuff there's like vegetables yeah. and meats and pasta and, it, and it's like you're not making like <laughs> some tv dinner you're making like a, a real deal meal and i'm gonna feel hey guys i felt pretty proud of myself i had a lot of confidence after that Cameron, i miss much, you and but. cohen cooking on insta story it's been part of the sadness of you moving moving uh, I, I i cooked last night for the first time uh, literally last night. There you go. So I'm back. Got a big box yesterday. Great. It is the only time, FYI, that I would ever eat anything Jesse cooks. 
Because if I <laughs> come over and he's just riding on a, like an off day, I'm not going to eat that. Yeah, that's probably a good move. Blue Apron offers 12 new recipes each week, and customers can pick two, three, or four recipes based on what best fits their schedule. They also send only non-GMO ingredients and meat with no added hormones. Blue Apron is treating relevant podcast listeners to $30 off your first order if you visit blueapron.com slash relevant. So check out this week's menu and get your $30 off at blueapron.com slash relevant. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. N.T. Wright is one of the world's most prominent theologians and Christian academics. Uh, he's a retired Anglican bishop and during his career has taught at universities and seminaries, including Oxford, St. Mary's College, McGill, uh, and others. In his new book, Paul, a biography, he looks at why many modern Christians have gotten a lot wrong about one of the New Testament's most famous figures. Here is Andre Henry's conversation with N.T. Wright. You have written so much about Paul and are considered by some to be an expert on what's called the new perspective on Paul. And a lot of people may not be familiar with that conversation. And I wondered if this book is a part of that conversation. Well, in a sense, the book outflanks that conversation because the question of new perspectives, old perspectives, um, is very much a modern scholarly thing. And the real thing is to get back and find Paul himself. And that's the task of history and the task of biography. And in a sense, what the biography is trying to do is so to get inside the life story of Paul from his early days as a zealous young Jew through to his Christian apostleship, etc., that we actually understand the multi-layered nature of what the gospel meant for him and how it worked out and what the controversies were in the different churches. And that, I hope, should be able to hold together the things that sometimes appear polarized in scholarship. And let me just say very clearly as well, there is no one thing called the new perspective. People sometimes write as though there was, but actually um, that's a, a range of quite different um, scholarly emphases in the 1970s and 80s, particularly with Ed Sanders and Jimmy Dunn and myself and Richard Hayes and we never we, this was never a movement it was never we never kind of met together as a group and said now how are we going to do this or that in fact uh, there are very sharp disagreements between myself and Dunn and Sanders and in some cases Hayes as well um and uh, so it, it's it's no one single thing the main thing about the different varieties of new perspective was that they were all trying to understand Paul's Jewish world as it really was and Paul's own perspective um, within that Jewish world and then how the gospel impacted on that and very much aware that until comparatively recently, people could get away with rank caricatures of the first century Jewish world, um, which really don't have any basis in, in history. And so it was an attempt to say, hang on, we've actually got this a bit wrong. Um, people then take fright when they hear people like me saying things differently from what they expected. And so there's been an, uh, an inevitable reaction. But I'm, I'm hoping that both my larger scholarly works and then this biography will actually put paid to quite a bit of that. So that's about as briefly as I can do it, I think. <laughs> so the name of the book is Paul, 
a biography, which is a surprising genre from you. And I wondered what were some of the challenges in approaching Paul as a biographer rather than just as a biblical scholar or theologian? And it's very interesting. I just recently read um, a kind of a biopic novel about H.G. Wells by the English writer David Lodge. And he says at the beginning that everything in this book is based on the actual historical evidence and actual quotations from H.G. Wells' work. But that because he's writing a novel, he has filled in the gaps in between where we don't actually know what happened between A and B, but he's filled it in as best he can. And I thought, well, in a way that that's rather like what I did with Paul, except that with Paul, I was very cautious about, you know, I didn't invent too many conversations and that sort of thing, but um, it was a way of trying to go beyond simply the bare evidence that we've got in the letters and acts and say, okay, so he and Barnabas are going up to Jerusalem for this discussion in Acts 15. What are they thinking? From everything we know about them before, from everything we know about them afterwards, what sort of lines are they taking? How are they actually wrestling with this one between themselves? And all sorts of situations like that, where the biographer quite rightly has to probe and say, so what are the motivations? What's actually going on here? And then granted this other person's motivations, how does that clash or meet or whatever? And so there are many places where it was really very interesting for me to have to think into. For instance, um, after Paul goes back to Tarsus, after his conversion and his early experience in Damascus and then in Jerusalem. They send him back to Tarsus where he grew up, and he's there for 10 years, and we know absolutely nothing historically about those 10 years. However, we know that was where he grew up. We know what Jewish communities in the diaspora were like. We know how they worked, so we can have a pretty good idea of his home, of the kind of tensions that there will have been, of the possibility that he had early been betrothed to a, a Jewish girl, and then either he married her and she died, or, or he, she refused to marry him, or something, uh, we just don't know. But those are things which the biographer has to raise as questions, even though making it clear that we can't actually know the answer. But that really helped me then, when it comes back to Paul's later relationships with Jews who do believe in Jesus and Jews who don't believe in Jesus, having thought my way into Paul's home life, you actually get a sense of three dimensions about when Paul says, my kinsfolk according to the flesh. You know, these are people he knows and loves. These are people whose voices still ring in his head and whose faces he can see in his mind's eye. And so I was trying throughout to bring Paul up as a three-dimensional character so that when we then meet him in his writings, it's not just, oh, here's a book by somebody called Paul, but, oh my goodness, yes, now, of course, this is what he wants to say to the Corinthians at this point, etc., etc. So it was the attempt to get the real flesh and blood man um, back up and running. Okay, so I have to ask this question because so many people, like so many people, do not like Paul. Why do you think that is? Yeah. I, I think, I mean, I've known plenty of people who thought that Paul was either dislikable or was actually wicked or whatever. 
again and again, they just haven't understood him. They haven't got inside his skin. They haven't understood what was going on. What What's happened again and again is that Paul has been used by some dogmatic teachers in the church to say, here is what Paul said, and we're going to beat you up with it, and you've just got to shape up and come into line. Um, people who like that kind of dogmatism have said, oh dear, what a terrible man he sounds. And in fact, when you get to know him, I mean, you have to face the fact that Paul, Paul is the one who writes that amazing poem about love to the Corinthians. And you can be quite sure that somebody who writes a poem like that is not, the, is not likely then to face the Corinthians coming back and saying, well, that's all very well, Paul. We wish you were like that, and what a pity you aren't. And when he says to the Thessalonians that I was gentle among you like a taking care of her children, we can be quite sure that they wouldn't have thrown that back in his face and said, absolutely not, what, what world are you living in? You were just a bully or whatever. And then in Acts, when Paul is giving his farewell speech to the elders from Ephesus, um, it says that when he told them that he would never see them again, they were all in tears. You know, this is a man who inspired enormous affection and love and admiration. And yes, as a friend, he was undoubtedly high-maintenance friend, but he was a high-value friend. You know, you, you'd, you'd be on your toes when you're around with him. He wouldn't be a relaxing person to be with, but he would be a wonderful companion and a, a, a very generous-hearted and warm-hearted man. That was N.T. Wright. Make sure to check out his new book, Paul, a biography. And actually, uh, there is a different conversation and a different look at that work in the current issue of Relevant. Go check it out. Yeah, I cannot wait to walk over to Andre's desk and steal that book. Listen in the shoddy, playing on the radio, sipping on your latte, drawing on your window. You feel like second nature, read it in your eyes. I don't need it down on you memorized, I got you memorized. I got you memorized. You're listening to Matt Carney and RAC. The song is Memorized. Passion Music serves as the worship ministry for Passion City Church in Atlanta and will soon be going out on tour with speakers including Louis Giglio and Levi Lusco, Neat. Christian Stanfill, Brett Yonker, and Melody Malone from the group recently gave us a behind-the-scenes look at some of the album's most memorable songs. Here is Passion Music. this song um, really went on a pretty big journey from the time that we originally started writing that probably last last May um, but the initial idea is still kind of forefront which is the idea that you know God gives his love without any condition you know and um, that's a it's a it's a powerful thought to think that God would initiate having a relationship with every single one of us um, whether or not we decide to be a part of that relationship or not 
And so that's what that, the, that line in the chorus, you know, says your love, it comes with no conditions. You gave us your whole heart. And for us, it's, you know, this is, he gave us Jesus, you know, the, the one son that he loved. And um, so, so just wanting this to, to have a song about that, about how God loves us and has pursued us and, you know, has good things intended for our lives. And, um, and so, you know, this song, it, it was just really cool just to, to see how the song began to open up. And, and really, up until the final hour, literally the final hour, I think we were all learning it the day of the conference. On stage, the first time we ever played it, and it's in the form you hear it, is was on stage before the first session <laughs> in rehearsal. So we were working on it right up to the, to the edge. was one of those people the first time that I heard the song I really had issues with it like that was my response I was like wait can we actually say this like is that the proper word to use here you know I was like I love every other part of the song but is that word what we want to say here um, you know because this was written by Corey Asbury and a couple other guys and it's really awesome but I did have to spend some time wrestling with that and then Really what it comes down to is we're not, you know, it does, the song is not saying that God, God is reckless. It's just saying when you look at his love for us and how we typically picture love, it does seem kind of reckless because you're thinking, you know, the whole story about um, leaving the 99 to go and find the one. I think in, in human terms and human perspective, that does seem somewhat reckless, you know, because you're thinking, well, what about the 99? Um, but that just goes to show how much God loves us, that he's going to leave the 99 to go and find the one because we're all the one in reality. We're all the ones that, that need to find him. And so I think what resonates really with that song is that so much of the time, even it goes back, you know, to what even Brett was saying about whole heart, about a love with no conditions. It's, it's we can never earn this love that God has for us. Um, and we, like the song says, we don't deserve it. And that's not something we're used to. We're used to people loving us because of, you know, what we can do for them or because, you know, we're a great hang or, you know, just every, every, everywhere you look, I think in society, it's all about what I can do for you and what you can do for me. And that's why we might love each other. But this whole idea that, that God, that God's love, it's going to chase us down. It's going to come after us. That's not, that's not a way we're used to being loved. And I think that that just shows really what, what we're all hungry for is this love of God. And that's, that's what we were created for. We were created to be loved by God and to love him. And so I think that's why it ultimately resonates with people. It's because there's this, this thing that we've all been searching for that you can't put a name on. And really, and truly we found that that's God's love and loving him and his love for us.
we've talked a lot around here at our church that, you know, uh, Psalm 149 says this, that worship is a weapon. And it's like a sword in our mouth. And it, it extinguishes the flames of the attacks of, of the enemy. And um, so, you know, in singing all these songs, you know, we, we love the whole diet of, of worship songs. You know, there's all kinds, like Christian was saying, there's all kinds of songs to be to, to sing. And Holy Our God Reigns is... It's just a song that we want to put in the mix of, of saying, you know, God is, is worthy of worship just because he's God, you know, that he is, he is intrinsically great because of who he is. And, um, and so I, I've always resonated with this word, hallelujah. Um, I, you know, it's, it's such a beautiful word. It can be sung in any language and people know what you're talking about. It just simply means praise the Lord. And, and, um, I, I like singing this song, um, because it's, it's one that you really can sing in any moment in life, but you can sing it from a place of victory from what Jesus has done. Uh, so, you know, you might be in a really tough time or, or you could be on the mountaintop, but you can, you can make this, this declaration that, you know, God is worthy of praise because he is, he is high above, he is holy, he's majestic, he's reigning over it all. And so that was a little bit of that. And, and you know, and in that song, there's, uh, there's this invitation, you know, it says all that has breath can praise the Lord. And, and, and that's our heart, you know, it's, it, for passion, you know, this is what we're doing. This is why we're trying to hold up the story of Jesus everywhere we go. We're just trying to invite as many people as possible to come be a part of the song of God. with uh, Brooke and Scott Lidgertwood. They're out in LA. They're part of Hillsong Church and they're great friends. And um, I think writing this song was just as transformational for me as it was, <laughs> as it is to lead it. <laughs> I mean, um, even just writing the song was such a personal, personal thing for all of us. Um, it was really hitting all of us and coming at different angles. And it was really, really special just, just writing it. Um, you know, leading it, especially a passion, um, passion is in so many ways, passion is such a transformational moment for, for these students and for us that are leading the way. And um, we meet with Jesus in such a powerful way in the days of passion. And so to have a song that can really just say out loud almost what's, what is happening in the room is really, really cool. Um, but, you know, I've just, I've loved leading it. It really started, um, Brett. Brett had this prayer, you know, make me more like Jesus. And that's really where, where the song started and kind of bloomed out from there. Um, so it's, it's cool. It does, it does call like a, a real sense of desperation in the room. Like when you do lead this song, that bridge, it changed me like only you can. It's such a desperate lyric to sing. And um, you really have to be in a, in a pretty hungry place to sing that. I mean, it's pretty cool. That was Passion Music. Go check out their new album, 
Whole Heart. It's out now. book, There Is More, Hillsong's founder and global senior pastor, Brian Houston, shows how the more you're looking for doesn't come from more stuff, more money, or more self-fulfillment. It only comes through discovering more of God and His plan and purpose for your life. Learn how to overcome this world's uncertainties and life's limitations and move your dreams from wishful thinking to genuine reality. No matter your triumphs or failures, God has more grace and favor waiting in your future. So maximize the abundant potential of your life. Discover the more God has for you. There is more by Brian Houston. Available wherever books are sold. You're listening to Ferns. The song is Life is Easy. Okay, it's time for your feedback. Uh, okay, before, before we get into feedback, we're still rolling with our mostly regular new segment, the relevant mm-hmm. podcast listener of the week. <laughs> listen to the show, and it's time to get to know you. It's the listener of the week. I think we're doing it a, a solid 60% clip. Yeah, you know? yeah. It's, it's and, and every time they're really good, so that gives us bigger points when we do do yeah, it. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, the anticipation is real. Uh, yep. This week, our guest is uh, going to be Ian Clark, his, our listener of the week. And Jesse, before we bring him on, why don't you tell us the three facts about Ian Clark that caught your eye? Okay, so here, <laughs> here are three and Z fat, uh, three facts. So this one's pretty interesting. I mean, uh, you know, I think it'll lead to some conversation. He's moved twenty three times in his life. Okay, wow. I'm, I'm in. Okay. I'm in. Ian. I was accidentally given two middle names. I want to know how an accident like that happens because mm-hmm. I feel like paperwork at birth certificates are are pretty, uh, you know, I feel like that would be difficult to do. Uh-huh. And Ian has died and come back to life. What? Oh. Okay, here what? we go. Uh, okay, welcome yes. to the podcast, Ian Clark. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. And Annie F. Down. Well, oh, Annie F. Downs. Uh, where are you? Where oh are you calling us from? I live in Illinois. Illinois. What are you Middle doing out there in Illinois? Keeping it vague. There's a lot of mafia out yeah, there. Yeah, what are you doing out there in Illinois? I, well, it's very boring. I work for a very large manufacturing company. Oh, do you guys uh, manufacture? You, uh, yeah, what do you really make? Cool? Hit the nail on the head. <laughs> uh, large, large equipment. Large equipment. Large Boy, equipment. are you being shady about oh, yourself. Seriously. Yeah, I, mean, it's a fun. <laughs> I don't know. Somewhere I mean, there's just a little so good. Making large equipment. Yeah, I've seen enough mafia yeah, movies, sure. gangster yeah, movies from Chicago. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Do you have any sort of, uh, what, do you have any sort of, uh, family there? You live around like your oh, brothers sure. and sisters? Absolutely. Yeah. I, I am, I'm married with two wonderful children. Oh, I'm, uh, I've been listening to Relevant since I was a target demographic age. But sadly, he has uh, five kids. Only uh, only two of them are wonderful. That's what's sad. <laughs> oh my gosh. Some of the kids oh are great. Ian, one Ian, of t- your benefits of working at a, 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 a manufacturing that does quote unquote large equipment, do you get yeah. to take it home and play with it ever? Because that'd be pretty cool. <laughs> I don't. The, I do not, but it would be super cool. It's all, it's mining equipment. So what? Oh, mining oh. equipment. That would be awesome. <laughs> like to drive on one of those big like drills that you can drive. Like that have four wheels that I see in the movies. That'd be pretty cool. Ian, what's the craziest thing that's ever happened at this mining <laughs> manufacturing plant? I got to know. I'm, what's, what are you guys covering up? Yeah. Get real with us. Well, see, like I said, I have a very boring job. I'm, I'm, I work in the engineering design department. So, there's not a lot of excitement going on where I work. I, I'm sure there's plenty of stories out there. 
Oh. Uh, yeah, I don't believe Ian for a second, you guys. Yeah. He's, <laughs> he's talking just like Jason Bourne talks. Hey, uh, uh, Jesse, why don't you uh, go down these these uh, three facts with him and let's get some some deets. Okay, Ian, let's start off with let's just, you know a little icebreaker. You moved 23 times, so two questions with that. Why did you move 23 times in your life and what's the best place and the worst place that you've lived? And what are you list? running from? And what mining company did you cross? <laughs> that, that's my problem is I keep changing jobs. So mm-hmm. one of the reasons why I've moved so many times is it, like every few years I switch positions and I get transferred. Mm-hmm. Uh, my father was just sim- similar way, but my wife really likes to redo homes. So it seems like every two years we move. Now we, we've settled down, but at one point we owned Three homes in thirteen months. Wow! Wow! So, so what's what, yeah, what's okay, the this best guy's place in witness you've protection, lived? Y'all. But also, <laughs> also <laughs> more interestingly, what's the worst place? Best and worst. Yeah. Yes, worst place. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm going to name a, a town, Rockford, <laughs> Illinois. Oh yeah. I I got transferred. I moved ahead of my wife. She was very pregnant. So I, without her help, I had to pick a place to live. We lived. I I found a a house for rent in a not so very nice neighborhood oh. next to a, uh, uh, a family that had cockfights in their backyard. Now that's a, plus. that was very, <laughs> yeah, very bad. Free and in, yeah, entertainment. You I mean, know, they're so good at fighting the neighborhood rallying around. Put spikes on their I had to stay in Rockford, <laughs> Illinois once uh, on my way to Cornerstone festival, which is in rural Illinois. And we stayed in the metropolis of Rockford on the way. Hotbed of activity. Yeah. All right. Um, and what's the best place you've ever lived? Where I live right now. I live in a, a over a hundred year old house. I'm, I'm, I'm talking right now from my attic, which has been redone into like a, like a studio fun, like entertainment room. So I, I finally, I think we're done. You know, I'm 40 years old now. Yeah. I'm settling in. I feel you. You know, we're, we're, we're done. You still have well, cockfights up there? Let me ask this, Ian. 100-year-old house. Sorry, Eddie. I'm going to get to something really important. 100-year-old house. Over under 10 ghosts. Yeah. <laughs> we know it's haunted. My wife my wife would give you a different answer. I'm, I'm the most unsensitive person to that, that, uh, that realm of existence. Um, hmm. I know Eddie's had a lot of ghosts in his house, so maybe if he was here, he could do some. And in my closet. Kind of. Yes. <laughs> I think the other shoe, the other shoe is here. Yeah. Your wife did actually tell us that you're a very unsensitive person, but she wasn't talking about ghosts. She was just talking about... Wait, so how many would your wife say are in the house? Hi-oh. Well, she would say there's at least one. Oh, really? So, uh, yeah, and actually the family before us named it, they named it Molly. I feel like naming it makes it a literally a hundred times creepier. Here's my theory about ghosts in hundred year old houses. And then we'll move on to your fact. I would rather have 10 unnamed ghosts yeah. than one ghost that I've named Molly. <laughs> like that's so much more terrifying. <laughs> I'd, rather, I'd rather have a full on ghost infestation than one called Molly. For some reason that's incredibly unsettling. Okay. I want to move on to, uh, you were accidentally given two middle names. How does that happen? Ian? And what are the two middle names? So my, my middle name uh, at birth was Timothy. That's my father's first name. So it's Ian Timothy Clark. Now, my father's name is Timothy Charles Clark. So okay. when I was little and I would get yelled at, you know, would your parents say your full name? Well, they were, everybody was saying Timothy Charles Clark. So I ended up being called Ian Timothy Charles Clark. So that's the accident. I actually got it on my driver's license 
um, but I don't have it on my birth certificate. What name is shouted more in your home? Ian, Timothy, Charles, Clark, or just someone screaming Molly? Molly. Which one is more common? (laughs) Molly by far. Okay, so Ian, finally, I feel like this is by far the most interesting fact. You have died and come back to life. We got to know. We got to know the story. Is one of your middle names Molly? Were were you once named Molly? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I'm calling you from behind the veil. No, so when I was... 32 years old, I was getting ready for a race down in Southern Illinois. I had always been like a sub eight minute mile guy, kind of guy. And all of a sudden I couldn't break 10 minutes. And then it got worth 12 minutes. It's like, Oh, something's wrong with me. So I went, got it checked out. They couldn't find anything. I was trying to get in one extra race over the week and over the lunch hour, I got about a mile and a quarter into my run and I collapsed a sudden arrest. I was, uh, found by a neighbor. So it gets kind of crazy here. I was, I was found by, uh, someone that came home from lunch. I, I passed out on the curb of the street. They thought, what was this crazy guy doing laying on the ground? But, uh, hilarious. They, they tell me, <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, just hilarious. Look at this guy. And that neighbor's name <laughs> was Molly. Molly. <laughs> yeah. I, I was going to say, what, I, I have, I, what was, did you interrupt a cockfight? Is that what happened? Like, Hey, there's a guy laying outside. No, the no. Over there. Well, it's, it's crazy because he was coming home to let his dog out and he had just got his dog. He hadn't been home for lunch and he's told me in over 10 years. So this is the first time he came home for lunch in 10 years, found me in the curb. There was a nurse across the, about a, I don't know, a couple blocks away that was eating lunch at a park. He held her down. She came over and started doing CPR. And then the, uh, the squad car was within the neighborhood. They happened to have a, an AED. So they, they would try to use that. The ambulance came. They, they thought I was, they did say I was dead. Um, they never gave up compressions though. So they were able to continue to do CPR until the squad car was able to use the AED to try to resuscitate me. Um, there's a lot of other crazy things about where people and places where everything just kind of like miraculously came together. I called a series of fortunate events. Yeah. So, yeah. I was in the hospital. Do you for, remember anything from when you were dead? Yeah. No, that's a crazy thing. So my wife, who is, I would say the opposite of me, she's, she talks about the spiritual battles and she, she believes that there was a lot of things at work, but I have zero memory. There's 10 days of my life. That's gone. 10 days. I, I, wow. Gosh. I, Ian, I'm kind Wait. of disappointed you when, when this know. happened and I'm glad you fully recovered and we can, I can yeah, I'm glad you're back. a joke and, and but I'm I'm kind of disappointed that when you went over to the other side, that your experience wasn't you met someone named Molly who said, I need you to buy my house and convert the attic to a delightful office. Uh, <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> do you still run? I do. As a matter of fact, I, I actually, like you, Eddie, I'm an old man who's trying to cross it. That is um, helpful. So I'm doing, <laughs> I'm doing that. But Eddie doesn't the, try the that anymore. About, no, I'm out. <laughs> like most, like most CrossFit no. people, he gave it a solid month and a half. Yeah, I'm, I'm real, and my body began to fall apart, and I thought, "Hey, I hate this. I'm not going to end up like Ian. Oh, yeah, no. I don't want to die. Oh, no. yeah. Who among us has truly lived, Ian? That's what I'm doing, pal. That sounds good to me. I love you, dude. <laughs> yep, hey, I, I love you, guys. Ian. How long have you listened to the podcast? I, I'm one of the old, like I said, I've been listening since I was a target age demographic. So I, <laughs> I am back maybe the first couple dozen when you guys first started. Wow. 2005. 
Wow. Yep. I think I, I came was in a listener back then too, guys. Matter of fact, yeah, I, I've never gone back and listened to the ones I missed, though. <laughs> don't, don't do it. I, I, I haven't either. I, I haven't either, but I've heard they're really, really awful. I, so, have, I listened to I, them. I listened to all of them, and it is like list, watching the old Simpsons episode where on Tracy Allman. It's oh, like, yeah, yeah. hey, I'm Cameron Strang. <laughs> Hello. Welcome to a podcast. I am Jesse This is Gary. the best cast ever. So why would yeah, you go back absolutely. and listen? Over here. This yeah. is the golden era. This over here. <laughs> yeah, this is the golden era. The platinum era. Platinum era. That's right. Dude, thanks for listening for so long. And and uh, that, that I'm, I'm glad you're alive. Uh, glad you're again. alive too, Ian. That's good. Um, thanks for Thank being our listener of the week. Bye, Ian. It was nice meeting you. It See was nice Ian. meeting you guys. I feel like I know you. Oh, you're <laughs> Yeah, so that's right. We're friends. I just feel real sentimental about Ian that he's alive. I know. He, yeah, he like kind of almost didn't make it. Yeah, yeah, I kind of feel like real... our podcast saved him. I yeah. mean, he was listening. <laughs> he didn't that. say that particularly. <laughs> he didn't say it, but the oh, implication okay. is he's a fan. Did it save him or did it to. kill him, Jesse? Did, hmm. oh. <laughs> now that's a fair question. Yeah, right. He was saying that there were a lot of factors, and I didn't want to make it about me. I didn't want to. I didn't want <laughs> I didn't. Keep going. I didn't know what he was saying, but it was sort of the power of our podcast actually, you know, brought a man back to life. It's pretty cool. It's a cool thing about us. <laughs> yeah. Before, yeah, I really appreciate being on, but I kind of feel like with your story that we're the listener of the week, and I love it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I love the way it made me feel about myself. <laughs> That's wow. wow. I'm just, I feel I just, like wow. I saved a man's life today. Yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah. I, yeah. we're the heroes. Saved a guy. Mm. Oh, we saved a guy. All right, it's time for your feedback. Thank for that. Last week, our quest of the week, we asked you, uh, "What is your favorite conspiracy theory?" Oh, we, yeah. you know, so we've happy. known forever if you've been listening that Jesse's into conspiracy theories, but we learned yeah. that Annie F. Downs is so into much. them as well. Weirdly, so we want to know your favorites. You guys hit us up on Twitter and posted on the podcast episode page. Here are some of our favorites. Okay, so the one that I got in my email sent to me in direct messages and they posted on the relevant podcast page is about this Twitter thing. Have y'all seen this? The phone number? No. And the Jesse, did you see this one? No. Uh, no, I don't know. Clarify. Okay, so sorry, yeah, you're right. Um, so a guy got a voicemail and it was in it was this big long paragraph. And if you take the first letter of every word he said, it says danger SOS. It is dire for you to evacuate. Be cautious. They are not human. SOS danger SOS. And so then there, this thing just keeps going. And the guy has ended up, he shared all this on Twitter, the guy who got all these messages, but there was something about solar flares. And they think that that communication came from <laughs> when they trace the, where the, the solar flares and where this voicemail came from. It's very complicated, but it came from that Malaysian airplane that crashed a few years ago. <laughs> and they think that it was a message from the Malaysian airplane about aliens. Jesse, you haven't seen any of this? What? No, but what's crazy is I'm looking at this now, and uh, that person has since deleted all of Everything. their tweets since this came out. Yes, because they got one of the messages they got in like perfect Malaysian language was delete what you just tweeted. I mean, like crazy stuff. That is like yeah. a serious, I mean, if people want to lose an hour to 90 minutes of their life like I did yesterday, <laughs> then they need to go read all of this because and it if, is. If people want to actually lose their life, they should go out on a nice midday run. In listening the, uh, to us. In the summer heat. Yeah. yeah, if they want to come back from the brink, we're basically, you know, <laughs> yeah. again, I, 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 like, I feel like. Ian's word's not ours, but we saved his life. That's right. Yeah. 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 I mean, and we're saving, you know, I'm worth saving. I don't know how many people 
you know, that, that aren't as, you know, you know, maybe a little more shy than Ian that aren't mm-hmm. going to come out and say that I died multiple times in the relevant podcast brought me back. So I think, I think it's legions <laughs> of people have been saved. Legions. What happened for Ian is he was going, he was being pulled down that tunnel, up the tunnel, mm-hmm. right? He was about halfway up. He's listening to Jesse telling his story about falling off the bunk bed. He's got, he's like, I really want to hear the end of this. Yep. And so he kind of like goes back and the, and the tractor beam like pushes him back into his body. I think a little piece of me dies every week here on the podcast. Is that Wait, you've been on the show for like five years. You don't even care about the humans anymore. You're just like, oh, whatever. It's all just animals. All right. So Cody Murphy from Liberty School of Law, by the way. Good job, Cody. Um, his his uh, theory falls apart pretty quickly, but I am 100% on board. In law school, uh, we learned that most of the Fortune 500 companies are incorporated in Delaware, of all places. Right. The joke came from the little tidbit that became that Delaware does not actually exist, but it is a myth propagated by the corporations to evade taxes. I mean, all we really know about the state is that that's where Joe Biden comes from. It sounds like a myth to me. So, Cody spent the summer in D.C. and, and uh, I sa- he said, I spent the summer working in D.C. a couple of years ago and as a joke decided to do a little late night investigation to see if this corporate myth was real. It was only about 80 miles away from D.C. and there I was at a beach I wanted to check out in Maryland. In the meantime, I finally got to where they claimed to be Dover, the state capital. And what does he find? 250 people playing Pokemon Go. Chandler, you love that game in front of the state (laughs) capitol at midnight, not believing what I saw. I just turned around and just went back to D.C. That was the day I became a Delaware truther because so many people playing Pokemon Go that late at night had to set me off on some sort of conspiracy. It doesn't make sense, and I don't believe it, but 100% Delaware isn't real. Apparently, I got to move yeah. to Delaware. That's where everyone's playing Pokemon. That's the hotbed. Right. You wouldn't yeah. believe how many uh, Pokemon gyms. It takes a while for the trends and stuff to get to Delaware. Right, right. So, it so just they're came just out. now. Yeah, yeah. Figure, yeah, you're yeah, like, yeah. You're they're just starting. Pokemon Go. How are you doing, um, uh, Chandler, on Pokemon Go, by the way? I'm the highest level. Wow. Congratulations. Wow. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I have no I have nothing to say. I want to know how much of your life was invested into that. And is that your on on if you, Chandler, if you were to rank your greatest accomplishment so the human up to now, where does that fall? That would probably be in the top 3. Absolutely. Wow. You're absolutely. I still play every day. So much life. Every day. You every still day. Absolutely. You're the only you person I know. You're such a consistent person, right? All the rest of us are like, oh, okay, I'm walking around with my phone and next trend. You are still. You still play every day? Every day. That's a conspiracy theory to me. Well, there's a lot more where that came from. Uh, you can head over to our Twitter account and check them out yourself. Okay, it's time for this week's editorial question of the week. Oh, well, earlier in the show, uh, we got talking about colleges. And then veered it toward Jesse's Christian college experience yes. and, and college weekend, which is kind of Christian high school experience. Got us thinking, we want to know your craziest or funniest or most memorable Christian education yes. experiences. I went to a public wait. high school and then to the University of Florida. And I will tell you... You cannot participate in this week's <laughs> yeah, feedback. I cannot wait to read how they other don't have lived. as much. Yes. I had a <laughs> no, listen, this is like a support group. We need to like oh, share yeah. our experiences. You know, have you seen those memes of like we we've all we all had one childhood, just different locations. Mm-hmm. I think all of us yeah. who went to Christian schools 
had one experience, just different yeah. locations. Yeah. Just um, one massive season of oppression. Yes. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, wow, wow, wow. <laughs> uh, hit us up on Twitter at Relevant Podcast or post your stories, your lengthier ones on the podcast episode page at relevantmagazine.com. Mm. We'll read our favorites I next week. I cannot wait to read these. Yeah. Me too. I'm so excited. Craziest Christian school experiences. Well, many thanks to the show's sponsors for making this episode possible. Remember, Samaritan Ministries, you can learn more uh, about how you can be a part of a community of Christians helping each other with healthcare by visiting SamaritanMinistries.org. Also, thanks to Blue Apron, you can get $30 off your first order by visiting BlueApron.com slash relevant. Also, thanks to our guests for joining us this week. N.T. Wright's new book, Paul, a biography is out now. You can also follow him on Twitter at Prof NT Wright. Also, thanks to Passion Music. You can follow them on Twitter at Passion Music and their new album, Whole Heart, which is about murmurs, is out now. <laughs> the Ian Thomas Jonathan Clark Molly story. <laughs> you think Molly is going to start following us on Twitter? Uh, no, like, it's not a fake account. It's like it's. Oh there's no God. question. Molly's about to get on Twitter. Yeah. yeah. Oh no. Well, she's been on. She's been on since the early 1800s. Yeah. <laughs> it is. We didn't ask enough questions about Molly, like where she lives in the house and well, let's how old she is. Yeah, we'll have her on next week. Hey, big news from the, from the Relevant Podcast <laughs> Network. We've had a couple, a few new shows drop uh, here these past couple weeks. The new season of the new Activist just launched. Uh, we talked about that last week. Yes. On the show. Hot show. Hot show. Hosted Eddie, that by episode a- is incredible. Thank with John's you. Crazy Do you have any special so guests coming up this next week? I yeah. will tell you. We have a very special guest interviewer. Oh. One Annie F. Downs. Oh, Annie F. Downs. Annie, tell us about your interview. I cannot wait for this. Oh, I can't wait. It's the guy who runs Christian Appalachian Project. Because I, fun fact about Annie Downs, I super care about the Appalachian population of the U.S. and and how they are underserved and um, under cared for. And so I got to talk to a guy who's been, who spent his, a lot of his life caring for that population. It's a really impressive and beautiful um organization it's amazing it's like when the harlem globetrotters appeared on scooby-doo like we're all coming together finally in one beautiful I was, episode i was gonna say gilligan's island but they were on both shows the episode culminated with uh, a basketball game that gilligan i believe he threw the tip <laughs> off for you know weird globetrotters got rescued that episode the the whole crew you know they're still there yeah, so yeah. you know it's uh Anyhow, Good episode. It's almost exactly how the new activist episode ends with Annie. I'm not. I don't want to give anything away. But <laughs> she gets off the island. There's a lot of yeah. basketball and a lot now, of. Rest. I, I will yeah. say this about the show. I love it because I learn about causes and communities that I don't. I don't have a lot of like context for. You know, and, and it, it's it's. I really appreciate that about it. Yeah, I think you're going to really like that about this episode, yeah. um, Jesse. It's, I mean, just because it's people we don't ever think about that are like literally just in our back. Yard of like these are people that yeah. live just very very close to us. It was I I learned yeah. I did not know anything. This was a fascinating one for me. Also, our new show Love and Money yes. uh, is out now. You heard a bit of that on last week's episode. Uh, the response to the first episode has been really strong. It's yes. exciting, and the second one done uh, is even better. And we are launching a new show this week called 
the faith angle with mm-hmm. CNN a contributor, USA Today columnist, Kirsten Powered, and uh, author and journalist, Jonathan Merritt. Yeah. Yes. Who's, our, ge- who's our guest? I love week? that guy. Isn't it the Eric Metaxas this week? Yeah. So what they do, yeah. you know, uh, the both, both um, Kirsten and Jonathan, I, I think, you know, have really politically nuanced opinions. Right. But, um, you know, I think, you, you know, Kirsten worked in a Democratic White House. Um, I think Jonathan, you know, certainly has different opinions on issues that I, I don't think he neatly falls in like a liberal or conservative uh, angle. But um, one of the things they wanted to do was get uh, prominent voices from across the political spectrum. They don't want to, they don't want their show to be like one of these shows where it's just that speaking into an echo chamber where um, it's just people with the same opinion. So one week you'll have someone who's like a conservative, like Eric May, Texas. Some you'll have someone who is on, uh, you know, more maybe socially or uh, politically liberal side of the spectrum and it's thoughtful, nuanced conversations. Uh, and that's what kind of sets this one apart. And it, they, they talked mostly about issues as it pertains to people of faith. So, uh, man, I mm. was Chandler. I know uh, we were texting about that first episode last night. It is, it's great. You guys definitely, yeah, I like it a lot. Out. There you go. Really well. You like it a lot. Like, wow. Chandler texted me unprompted last I, night. We we need to send out an e blast. The, the faith angle, <laughs> huge endorsement quote. I like it a lot, Chandler. Uh, 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 and I gotta say, yeah. he, he I literally, literally uh, Chandler rarely. I mean, we're 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 buddies now, but he rarely like texts me. Uh, unpro- I hear some text, I, Chandler. I hope this doesn't violate anything. <laughs> okay, but this is a text I got from Chandler yesterday. I will say, I really like the faith <laughs> angle. A lot of their points, I'm like, quote, yes, exactly, <laughs> that lol. Is, that so is wow. if that's not an endorsement, yeah, I don't know yeah, what yeah, is. Yeah. That's coming from our very I, yeah. that and I was just like, and, I was like yes, and, exactly. And also on the, I mean, I don't know, if, can I make an announcement about the podcast network? Kyle tweeted to us, and, uh, and I want to just say that, Kyle, we hear you. Kyle has asked for a Candy Talk podcast. Oh, and, um, <laughs> you're right, Kyle. We are in the pro, in, in work, so... Jesse and I are really excited. About hey, while that. you're online over yeah. at iTunes, uh, subscribing to all these new RPN shows, uh, head over to relevantmagazine.com. Our 15 year anniversary issue of Relevant is out now. Go subscribe. It's going to be a great year for the magazine coming up. We have some very exciting covers uh, that have locked in for the next few issues. So, um, yeah, you won't want to miss out. Go go check it out. Relevantmagazine.com. You can subscribe today. It's a great offer going on. On that note, we'll wrap it up. I'm Cameron Strang. I'm Eddie Koffoltz. Chandler Strang. I'm Jesse Carey. I'm Annie F. Downs. We'll see you guys next week. This is devotion. I owe you nothing. I be myself and I ain't frontin' and no, no, no. Thank you for listening to The Relevant Podcast. If you like what you heard, be sure to leave us a review on iTunes. Check out other shows from the Relevant Podcast Network in the podcast section at relevantmagazine.com. And while you're there, browse exclusive podcast merchandise at our online store. Make sure to subscribe to Relevant Magazine. Info is available at relevantmagazine.com forward slash subscribe. I won't help you understand. I don't need no helping hand. No, see, these aren't tears. This is the ocean. These aren't tears. This is devotion. Why you always have to try me? You're thinking I'm gonna follow blindly. Why you always have to try me? And now, Andrew Peterson and the Problematic Choir. 
Relevant Podcast Network.